ruined your life, Neil. Go. <laughs> After two weeks. Take it away. See what happens when we go away for a week. All hell breaks loose. It just goes nuts. Yeah. They wait for us to leave. And when we're not paying attention. I'm not paying attention. Stuff happens. We were paying attention. We were, but they don't know that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So the... Is it a coup or a mutiny? What happened in Russia last week? A coup or a mutiny? Yeah, or what, what do we call it? What do we agree to call uh, it? A, f- uh, a protest. A farcical LARP. A LARP. A farcical LARP. Usually LARPs are farcical anyway, but just to make the extra, just to make the point, you know, it's a farce, it was a farcical LARP, yeah. Uh, Putin didn't say so. No. He's not in on the LARP. You're not suggesting he's LARPing too. No. No, no. No, I mean, ultimately that's what it is. Of course, Putin had to take a, a strong line against it. And, you know, he wasn't going to just like dismiss it as, as, as nothing, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, because um, it wasn't, not nothing, but it wasn't nothing. But um, it, it was the whole motivation behind it was just, uh, it was ridiculous. It was a joke, you know. Yeah. Um, Okay. What uh, else is there to say? I mean, uh, well, I don't know if you want to <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I mean, just just note that <clears throat> the entire Western media couldn't have been more wrong. If you know, I don't know. But they've been wrong about everything for the they past. They have, but have you ever seen them so spectacularly wrong? Well, they were just hoping. It was, they were snorting a lot of copium and, and hoping, hoping against hope. Right, or, so it's, it's 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 not reporting. Well, when it's, when it's you build yourself up for like several longer. several years, you know, wishing and hoping and talking and looking for evidence that Putin is is on the way out. You know what I mean? That and, and wishing against you know wishing it being your your highest aspiration that Putin would in some way be be made to go away. Then when something like that happens, yeah, you shit your pants and think that, you know, it, it, it's Christmas and your birthday, or you roll into one type thing and then you just jump at it. Like, I mean, we, we played people, don't know if they remember, but, you know, the mainstream media, particularly in America, you know, talking about the walls closing in on Trump, you know, him all repeating that phrase, the walls are closing in, the walls are closing in, the walls are closing in on Trump, you know. Um, and uh, not, no walls closed in on, in, in the context in which they were talking, you know, at the time. <clears throat> that he was going to be impeached and kicked out and all that kind of stuff. Sure, he was impeached, but he wasn't kicked out, you know. Uh, but that, you know, uh, well, if, I think, in fact, they were talking about the Mueller report. Uh, the walls are closing in on Trump because the Mueller report is going to be exposed as having, you know, having done deals with the Russians and he, there's collusion and all that kind of stuff, and then it ended up not being the case. So, yeah, the media, the mainstream media just have a really hard time separating what they would like to be true and what is actually true. Mm. Um, they're as bad as the average person in the street in that respect. You know, they're mm. as subjective as the average person in the street. Uh, that's a, that's allowing for the allowing for the fact that, or that's assuming that they're not actually engaged in deliberate propaganda, which of course they do, depending on the on the situation. Um, but it's hard to separate the two when you've got personal bias and deliberate propaganda. Um, very often they're the same thing. You know, deliberate deliberate misinformation and disinformation. Um, it's hard, hard to differentiate from uh, from personal bias, you know. The, ultimately, it's the same, you know. If you're if you're particularly biased about something, if you don't like something, and you tend to look at the world or reality in a way that confirm that you know that okay. through that bias filter, basically, then you know. Okay, tell me now what you were thinking last Saturday morning as it was happening. That it was a joke, yeah. Come on, 
<laughs> no, he's, that that that. But we were watching that, and we were, we were thinking, "This is a pretty hot situation." No, I, I didn't. I in the moment I didn't know what to think. But you can go back to like on my my Twitter feed. Actually, I said that you know I think on that day I said that it was some kind of a. Uh, I can try and pull it up here if I can find it, maybe. But then, um, it's not all like. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal. Okay, this is this is them with their headline, uh, May twenty fourth. So one month to the day before it happened. Wagner chief's Wagner chief Prigozhin's feud with Russian military cracks Putin's image of control. Mm-hmm. There may be some wishful thinking in that in the headline, but that's quite accurate. Given given what just happened, no. Um, that it shows Putin lacks control. Um, well, that's as a feud to begin with. Wagner chief's feud with Russian military. So that, what happened last week basically answered the questions we had had for about six months before about Prigozhin and his videos and complaining about the lack of weapons. You know? Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, it, what, what day was it? June 24th? Saturday, yeah, 24th. I'll just read the uh, first, first tweet I wrote about it was the timing of Prigozhin's little es- escapade. Little escapade, I called it, is interesting. It happens when all the fighters, Wagner fighters are on holiday after Bakhmut, Ukrainian military is on holiday after getting decimated in their counteroffensive. And therefore, the Russian military is on relative holiday too. Um, if, if Prigozhin was serious about his coup attempt, he would have done it at a time when Russian forces were bogged down. Yeah. Instead, he chooses holiday time when it poses no threat to Russian military operations and therefore no threat to the Kremlin. All it does is provide fodder for the reality creators and wishful thinkers in Washington, D.C. Okay. Notice also that in, in all his rants, Prigozhin never once mentions Putin. The entire thing is some kind of ruse for some as yet unknown purpose. Okay. On the 24th. That's what I was thinking. Okay, so you don't think he was ever in any way actually challenging Putin then? That he, he that what he said during it and then after. I think it was the I think it was the that actions, he wanted to show you at. It was the actions of a deranged person. Yeah, Prigozhin is deranged. So to ascribe any kind of uh, serious intent or, or you know planning to him or he had some grand strategy that had any chance of actually working is is missing the point that he's the guy's obviously not right in the head. Okay. Do you, th- do you think it ends with him, or is this a Western conspiracy to get Russia? Uh, no, well, like, like as you mentioned, uh, people uh, in the West they were apoplectic, almost uh, in, in the sense of um, they were they were, you know, they were they they thought they they saw for a moment, you know, the the culmination of all their hopes and hopes and dreams coming true, uh, and they were completely unable to actually read it. You know, for what it was. So, that, I mean, all they could see—it's bizarre. You know, all they could all they could think was coup in Russia. Putin's gone, and they disregarded um, the evidence. What was actually happening? You know, it, or they looked at the evidence that was happening and said, "Yeah, but maybe we don't know enough here." You know what I mean? Where they'll start to be, they'll start to be kind of uh, circumspect about about the data. In in other situations, they're absolutely sure when it when when that. That certainty confirms what they want to hear. But in this case, they wanted to be 
uncertain about what was going on because the evidence suggests that they weren't going to get what they wanted. So they said, but wait, it's not over. Maybe there's more. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this isn't just a, 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 the actions of, of, a, of a nutbag. Yeah. Maybe this is like Russian society-wide. Maybe it's in the military. Maybe it's, no, let's just wait. Let's just wait, right? So they started to be journalistic. Yeah, on Monday. If only to... On Monday, yeah. they changed. They said, well, <clears throat> that was over quickly, but any day now, the walls are closing in. Yeah, yeah. They come from so. well, even even on the same day, whenever oh, when 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 Prigozhin, Prigozhin decided he was gonna he was gonna go back go back to right. back home, and he may live another day, but but it's not over yet. This, there could be rumblings, there'll be effects of this. Yeah, you know, this could be he could have just he could have just pulled out the the you know the the brick <clears throat> one brick. Yeah, it doesn't look like much, but that could be all it needs for the whole edifice to fall. So it could just wait a couple of days, wait two weeks to flatten the curve. You asked if there was any Western backing, and this is Jerusalem Post, uh, but I, I don't know if it's carried anywhere else, but the President Joe Biden said that the United States and his allies were not involved in the brief uprising by Russian mercenaries against the Kremlin. CIA Director William Burns called Russian spy chief Narishkin after last week's aborted mutiny in Russia to assure the Kremlin that the United States had no role in it. The New York Times and Wall Street Journal reported on Friday. Um, so there you go. The irony of this is you know, and the ten percent of the population who pays any attention, they're all they're all skeptical and critical, you know, very well versed in <laughs> official statements and what to believe or not believe. So they, of course, didn't believe that they took the, <clears throat> the the maxim that you know nothing is true until the official denials. Yeah, until so the so they, they read that as ah, okay, they're in on it. Okay, well, Mike Pompeo, we lie, we cheat, we steal. You know, that's that's pretty yeah. much what they do at West but, Point. I think it's hilarious that the U.S made the denial public uh, and privately too burns of course as well but there was also public statements to that effect we had nothing to do with this mm-hmm. when no russian allegation had been made mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah you know what i mean they don't protest it too much yeah it's like i know we know that you all know that we're supposed to be the kind yeah. of doing this thing but no, you all, we didn't you, know, <laughs> you all know that we do this we know and you know and we know that you know that yeah. we do this all the time but in this case and and on this in this uh in this case, it wasn't us. Uh, we had nothing to do with it. For me, that's what's extraordinary about this. What? You would expect it. Like, Scott Ritter is now pretty much on point. Most people are. They figured out that this was a Wagner spat. PMC was about to be folded, and Prigozhin wanted his money-making scheme to keep going. And, you know, that was really all there was to it. Hence, farcical LARP, as you described it. But in the context of what's happening, major geopolitical barely disguised proxy war between the United States and Russia, we would expect if something like this happened at this juncture when the Russian military has actually got the upper hand in Ukraine, whoa, this is the NATO coming back through the side. We would expect this. So he's naturally suspecting there's got to be a CIA connection here. The irony is it's it's more mundane than that and therefore more mysterious. Not this is just born in Prigozhin's head, Mm. maybe with other... Others in Moscow who put words in his head to get him to act. But it's pretty much limited just to that. Very few. And that's what makes it all the more striking. It's mundane, but it happens at this time. Mm -hmm. And and all it can take is one lunatic. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want, want like, kind of deeper conspiracy aspect to it, I would say it's possible. I don't know if it's it's true or not, but it's possible that, well, I'd, I'd say it's almost certainly true that, 
the Russian government, that the Kremlin, that Putin, etc., all knew that this was going on, that this kind of dissent, these these murmurings, and they weren't just murmurings, like you go back to Bakhmut and, and video of Prigozhin, like bad-mouthing the Kremlin uh, and Shoigu over and over again uh, in, in deranged, yeah. foul, foul-mouthed rants um, several months ago. So the idea that the Kremlin didn't know that there was dissent among the ranks of, of, of within Wagner, particularly Prigozhin, uh, is, is not really plausible. They certainly did. Um, and they probably had people on the ground in Wagner who were sending information back. So they probably knew that this kind of thing was going to was 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 in the works, you know, was 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 being planned. Uh, maybe they didn't know the exact timing of it, but maybe they did. Anyway, uh, so in that sense, you could assume that they didn't step in to take any action against it because they wanted to use it to. It's a useful tool if you control it, you know, uh, if you if if you're if you have a handle on this. Uh, on, on coup plotters and stuff like that, it's a useful tool to let it play out, <clears throat> knowing that uh, there's no real threat to see who gets on board. Because yeah. then you get to clean house and get rid of uh, get rid of people who who are not exactly loyal to you. Now it's interesting that it seems anyway, and according to the official R- Russian government statement, um, there was no support for it in the military in this in the regular Russian army or, or armed forces and there was no support for it among the population or very little and no support uh, for it among the political class uh, there was no one stood up no one tried to, no politician stood up and said we support you know publicly said we support uh, we support Wagner we, you know we need to get rid of Putin we need to get rid of Shoigu no, you got no support whatsoever yeah. and that was certainly a part probably of uh, Prigozhin the crazy person that he is suddenly realising that in his deranged fantasies of you know marching on the Kremlin and shirt fronting as the Australians like to say uh, Shoigu and, and dragging him out of the uh, defence ministry um, it, it, in his strange fantasy of, of, of doing that he suddenly realised that actually that wasn't going to happen because basically no one supported him um, yeah. he had no support whatsoever and the other thing I'd say is that yeah, in the initial moments we could anybody could have thought oh there might be something going on here because of our we know that you know these kind of coups have been staged uh, quite regularly by the CIA and MI6, etc., but particularly the CIA over the years. Uh, certainly they were directly involved, the U.S. State Department and the CIA and other uh, elements of the U.S. establishment were directly involved in the Maidan coup. They made it happen. Now, you've seen so many coups like that. that that's the way coups have happened in, in, in the past 20 years, let's say, in major coups that were successful. And we've got used to the coups taking that form. Of course, those coups are well. They're not. Those aren't called coups. They were called grassroots um, rebellions of the population to overthrow unjust political leaders, and it's faded and lauded in the in the Western media as a great thing. And they never say that they're an actual coup. That, that it's a coup by yeah. by the CIA. It's a CIA State Department funded coup. Um, so in in Russia last week with Prigozhin, what you saw was how an actual attempted coup happens. And how long it lasts um, in, in, a, in a major country, uh, and that argues for it there not being any Western involved involved in it at all, uh, because it was such a farce. Yeah, certainly if the CIA had been putting, I don't think they were, they're not able to. Is another reason why there is another uh, reason why there was probably definitely no Western involvement in it is because Russia has kind of firewalled itself against, it's well-versed in those kind of um, 
colour revolutions over the years and it knows how they operate and it's taken over the past 20 years under Putin, it's taken all the measures necessary to make sure that that never happens in Russia. So it's not possible for the CIA to, to, to have a coup, to have a colour revolution in Russia. And also, if they did in some scenario where they were able to do that, it would look very different than what happened last week. Hmm. It would be... You know, you know how it happens. Yeah, yeah, with, like with grassroots Syria, movements and all that kind of stuff, or it would be armed gangs. But you need massive logistic, logistical accessibility or access to the to the country to be able to to do that. You know, uh, either from directly from, like, say, the CIA or through its partners in the region. You know, but yeah, like I said, Russians on. We've seen several reports over the years of the FSB making busts on. Mm. Um, illegal weapons making mm-hmm. underground weapons making factories yeah. so certainly within Russia so crime, that would be how they try to get it and then wrote have you seen the War Gonzo clip of their interview with Pugosian I'm not sure when it's filmed I think it's March do you know who I'm talking about he's uh, mm. that's his alias he's a Russian Moscovite mm-hmm. blogger slash military correspondent <laughs> treated as such seriously within Russian media He's often in Donbass, yeah. and he interviews Prigozhin. Um, I think I think this might be the actual point where <laughs> the idea was put in his head. Oh, yeah. um, so this is just a clip from like an hour-long interview. Hopefully this Ну, вот они говорят, э, ну как они, вот типа оправдывают якобы, вот нельзя ЧВК Вагнера, вот они достигли уже такой автономии, у Пригожина такие политические амбиции, вот сейчас он возьмет свою, значит, эту частную армию, развернет и захватит власть в России. Семен, смотри, по поводу похода на Москву. Мы заинтересованы, но не думали. Я не предлагал. Нет, нет, ну да, я бы... You think he's lying, and that wasn't the first time you heard it. No. Wargonzo is saying back to him what yeah. he's hearing in Moscow, right, because others are watching Prigozhin, and right. they know that he's that And they're hearing thing. that within, within the ranks. So, of course, he's going to say no in that moment, because like, shh, don't say that, it's so too, he, early. He played, too early. He played dumb. Yeah, they've been plan- planning it for maybe, maybe a month or two before that, or something along those lines, you know. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It, it was a joke. The whole thing was a joke. Um, yeah. It was it was hot though for a moment. I mean, three thousand Chechen fighters sent to Rostov. Mm-hmm. I mean, it came to a head because of that. They surrounded Rostov, and there was some kind of firefight between Russian air force and this convoy going up because there were several choppers. They and may have lost shot down. a missile or two. Um, but yeah, he he was cornered, I suppose, and mm-hmm. he accepted. All terms, which, yeah, and, then, which and were, then you get to live, and that's it. Yeah, well, he do, I don't know if he gets to live. He gets to live for now, but um, he uh, he immediately when he announced that there were he made put Prigozhin put out a statement, you know, after he decided, uh, kind of changed my mind. I don't really want to go to Moscow. We're, we're going back home because blah blah blah. You know, some noble thing about not spilling not spilling Russian blood. And then he turned around and said that actually we were only the only reason we were in Rostov. Um, was because we, you know, the 30th of June date uh, w- when they were re- going to be required to, Wagner was going to be required, Wagner members were going to be required to sign uh, contracts to incorporate themselves into the Russian uh, Russian regular Russian military. That was coming up, it was, you know, a week, a week later. Um, so they had gone to Rostov since they had finished in Bakhmut and all that kind of stuff. They were on holiday, like I said. So they had gone to Rostov with their equipment <coughs> in order to hand it over. 
in the case that when June 30th came, they were Wagner was disbanded in that way or incorporated into the Russian military, they were going to give all their equipment to the military base in Rostov. It was the closest uh, major military base where they could give back all the Russian equipment, right? That's that's. But, and that's why they were there in Rostov. That wasn't part of the coup, according to Nadi Prigozhin, right? That wasn't part of his plan. That They were just doing the normal thing. They were going willingly to, 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 to give up, not give up, but to follow the instructions of the Russian government. But then on that day, according to him, Russian forces attacked the Wagner position, wherever mm. it was, from, and from that, rear. that is what just, you know, pushed in a moment, the pushed him over the edge. And <clears throat> in that moment, on that same day, he formulated a plan to march on Moscow and, and started off. So that's, that's how deluded the guy is. He thinks... That anybody would... He's just a liar. He's a pathological liar, and he's a foul-mouthed pathological liar. Yeah. And he should be in prison, if not worse. Yeah. So Putin isn't... It's not just rhetoric when he's talking about betrayal and stabbing the back and yeah. um, a dangerous situation and so on. It's still a farcical LARP, but he mm-hmm. is saying that this kind of thing is dangerous mm-hmm. and, yeah, could have, could have caused a, a major... Yeah, only to the extent that it, that, that Wagner or Prigozhin had got into the minds of, you know, a large number of the Russian regular Russian military and into, into the minds of politicians, or whatever. Or he, he he enjoyed support among them, significant support on the, among them for this kind of thing, for his delusional rants about getting rid of Shoigu, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, I, I, in hindsight, <laughs> remember now, in Iraq the highway? How did that happen? Remember how what happened? How did Prigozhin get into? Not just Russian minds, but he became an international. He he got fame. Yeah. How did that happen? Promotion. There was a viral documentary about Wagner's exploits yeah. that went viral. Also, made by well watched in the West, they were made by his. He owns media a media company. Media companies plural, mostly online. There are like portals yeah, and so on. Well. But one of them was an actual filmmaking studio mm-hmm. that made this documentary about Wagner. So it's all about the money. And, and, and then I'm wondering, you know. To what that whole thing about Shoigu, Shoigu, Grasimov, Grasimov, like going on and on and on, and then it becomes fact. Everyone knows this internationally, but was this all from his head? No, because he, they were starting to. Well, Shoigu, Shoigu is the one who would give the orders that maybe not didn't speak directly to him, or maybe he did, but anyway, told him that he's not. You know, was basically constraining his plots and plans and his his, his delusions, his his grand ideas uh, by, for example, in Bakhmut. That's what he was going on about then about not getting ammunition when he was lying he, they had plenty of ammunition to do the job that they were given to do, to do in Bakhmut uh, what he wanted was was a lot more ammunition to stockpile it so Wagner would have it for his delusional idea of staging a full ground war on the Kremlin or driving through the walls of the Kremlin and uh, grabbing Shoigu by the you know so he, he's, he's, he's a character disturbed I think he's a character disturbed pathological person who uh, who you know, takes that attitude. Who, if if you say no to them, you know, the kind of people if you don't say no to me. If you say no to me, if you, if you say no to a, a particular type of person, they get enraged, and you're for the rest of your life their number one enemy. This kind of person is, I think. Yeah, and it doesn't need a grand plot. It doesn't need CIA. No, you can have one yeah, person. Loopy person. Yeah. You know, there's. I wonder how far back this goes. People talk about Prigozhin being Putin's longtime friend. Mm, in quotes, yeah. it's not a friend. Mm. Yeah, the thing is, what's weird about his story is that he pops up in 2016. He's key to 2016 in the narrative set by the West. Russia tried to influence the elections, and what it came down to in the Mueller report was specifically this Internet Research Agency, 
which is a bland Orwellian name for actually what was basically a, a, a marketing clickbait mm-hmm. troll farm mm-hmm. in St. Petersburg. Pugosian make, That's Pogosian announced in February, right when he's beginning to start his public spat with the Kremlin, that he declares that, that's me, that's my baby. Mm-hmm. And not only do, do I own that, I invented that, I created it, and mm-hmm. I did that to push back against American propaganda. Mm-hmm. Well, Newsweek and other American outlets picked up on that, and they went, ah, yep. proof, proof. Prigozhin is very close to the Kremlin, Putin. In fact, they're best friends. Mm-hmm. In fact, he was at one time his personal chef, right? He, he served a meal once. Therefore, Putin did direct him to influence the, so he gave legs to the lie that had already been discounted mm-hmm. when what they found what 44 offending tweets that may have tried to have political influence and mm-hmm. it, was, it was farcical in itself but this guy went and gave the that old 2016 russiagate farce legs mm-hmm. like because it's self-promotion that's all he is he's just a it's crazy it's, it's the goddamn cook. You remember in uh, Hunt for Red Clover? It's yeah. the goddamn cook. Well, th- this guy, like, I, I wonder how smart and cunning he is in his pathology. Because cooks and Putin, if, you know any, if anyone knows anything about Putin's history, as he has talked about in quip, clips here and there, and the, some biographers are, have, have written, the story is that Putin's grandfather was personal cook to Lenin. And then his father was a one-time personal cook to Stalin. I've wondered, mm-hmm. just a thought, I've wondered if Prigozhin in his mm-hmm. cunning is like, how do I get in his good graces? You know? Uh, the allegation, <laughs> I haven't found anything to substantiate the idea that he's, he's Putin's cook. Uh, that's the way it's spun in the Western media. There's, yeah. a, there's a video or... or pictures of, of Prigozhin uh, serving him some food that he's prepared and it's like Putin's like you know it's, it's kind of like it's almost like a photo op yeah. basically uh, I'm pretty sure Prigozhin would never lower himself to be Putin's cook um, pretty sure Putin would never have Prigozhin cook his meals like as in Prigozhin's like what he's in the he's in the um, he's in the Kremlin from 9 to 8 or whatever Putin's wow. eating hours are and he's there on call for when Putin snaps his fingers, Prigozhin, I want, uh, want some, you know, want a, want a steak and fries, whatever. <clears throat> Get on it for me, yes, sir. So is that what we're talking about when we say I mean, this is the that. level of, of ridiculous? He was serving wine personally to Putin and Bush at a 2004 summit because he was in trying Moscow. to insinuate himself into into position of influence and power, but he certainly wasn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the guy's a yeah. The guy's a self promoter, self obsessed, self absorbed self promoter. Hasn't he been so successful? It's it's insane. Like the whole world knows as fact that Shoigu is a bad man mm-hmm. because Prigozhin wasn't getting as many billion rubles as he would like out of Kremlin contracts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think he's I think he's he's far cuter than than the. He's fr- always framed. Blame it, what you mean by always cute. Uh, cute. He's always framed it as no, no, no. The issue isn't with Putin. The issue is with Shoigu and Gerasimov. But in a Russian system, right, the vertical of power. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is really, if Shoigu won't give me the weapons, that's because Putin has told him not yeah. to give me the exactly. weapons. So he knows that, but he won't name Putin. Mm-hmm. It's also sly. It's just a snake. It's the work of a snake. Um, what do you think then? Are you aware of this, that one of the things that were leaked in the Discord leaks 
when this 21-year-old with some kind of national security clearance in mm-hmm. the United States put all these files on. One of them is that um, uh, Prigozhin had had contacts with U- Ukraine. Um, I'm not suggesting... I'm not suggesting that this led to anything, but reading it is interesting because what seems to have come out of it at the time is that what Prigozhin is alleged to have said to the Ukrainian side was discounted by the Ukrainians themselves. Basically, Prigozhin, the story is he contacted Ukrainian intelligence and to suggest a deal. You do not target... Uh, Wagner forces positions around Bakhmut and instead I will give you targeting coordinates for Russian regular Russian military positions mm-hmm. that's t- I mean that's textbook you know betrayal right there um, this is the Washington Post write up of this in May May 14th Wagner chief offered to give Russian troop locations to Ukraine discord leaks Prigozhin said he would tell Ukraine's military where to attack Russian troops if they pull their own forces back from the beleaguered city of Bakhmut. Uh, Bakhmut. Mm-hmm. Um, if you scroll down the first couple of paragraphs, this is supposedly took place in late January. Uh, Prigozhin is supposed to have made this extraordinary offer. Um, apparently, this took place in the context of Main, ongoing secret communications during the course of the war mm. um, and it was revealed supposedly from these discord leaks mm. well, if you go down to the very end of that article um, there's quotes from Ukrainian intelligence officials um, uh, <clears throat> So yeah, go back up there. You're nearly just, there. Just there. Um, Budinov. Um, okay. <clears throat> uh, okay, so Budinov is someone in the SBU. I, I think he's that crazy guy whose offices were hit in Kiev uh, a couple is of weeks it? ago, actually. Uh, quote, this is a quote, so presumably it's direct from him. Yes, of course I can confirm this information. We have nothing to hide from foreign special services. Oh, no, that's Prigozhin. Sorry, that's Prigozhin. Yeah, but he's saying he's confirming. When the U.S. intelligence document revealed that Prigozhin had communicated with Ukrainian intelligence, Prigozhin confirms it. Yeah, yeah, it's somewhere in there. Anyway, No, but that's it right there. I mean, that shows you... That shows you... The case of Joe... Do you want me to give you an analogy for this? You know when gypsies come to my front gate and offer me to to tarmac, to redo my driveway... I uh, I don't take them seriously, right? Uh-huh. Um, maybe Prigozhin's a gypsy. But anyway, the point being, um, Prigozhin there in that, in that supposed, in that article he's, he's quoted as having said, yeah, yeah, I contacted Ukrainian intelligence. Uh, it's in those, it's in those uh, leaks. Yep, I contacted. That's, that's right there's treason, right? He's signing his own death warrant in a certain sense. Yeah. But he's no problem doing it. So the same applies to if Prigozhin, whether or not this is true or not, whether or not he did contact them, don't know, but if he did, what what way do you think the Ukrainian intelligence would respond to it? Uh, they treat it cautiously, but being Ukrainian, I th- I would have thought they would act have acted on it, have tested it out. 
Maybe. What yeah. the article says that I couldn't find... Um, but he didn't give them any information, is the thing. They did. He offers w- to give them information and then they, doesn't give them I can't, information. I can't remember where it is and it's shite. Um, anyway, it's worth reading because they, they have a Yuki guy say, when we heard, when we got this information or we saw his suggested his offer, we were like, we didn't know what to do with it because we didn't know if we could trust him. Of course. Right. Um, but in hindsight, I wonder if they're kicking themselves because like they, they could have used that. They probably wouldn't have given them accurate information. Okay, maybe not. This but is the problem in, in, in that kind of a conflict with, with psyops and all that kind of stuff. You literally don't know. Cloak and dagger stuff. You don't know reality from fantasy, and you can't trust anything. And no one would have known, I suppose, until think, now, now everything's clear, it's out in the open, but it could only be been made clear. The only reality in which these people ground themselves is money. You know, that's the only, that's the only thing they believe. Uh, that's what's going on across the board in this entire conflict. Everybody's getting paid off. All that, all those billions of dollars from the American and American and Western aid to Ukraine. Most of it, or not most of it, maybe, but a significant proportion of it is going into people's pockets, and they're all being paid off. And then nobody trusts anybody else except if, you know, I get in on you and you're talking money and you say, listen, we can siphon off, you know, a few a few million from from this 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 tranche of aid to Ukraine, and we'll do it through this company. And are you? <coughs> <clears throat> are you in on it? And you're like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, you can, thieves can trust each other when when they realize that they're that they're all on the same page in terms of thievery. But in terms of some kind of like when it comes to like strategy and stuff and passing information back and forward across front lines between two countries, it's like nobody believes that. You know what I mean? There's, I mean, the, the level of trust between Ukrainian the Ukrainians and the, and the Russians in terms of you know official channels is like less than zero. You know. It's not zero. It's bad, but they do they do organize transfers of prisoners of war, for example. Yeah, and they yeah. take place. No yeah. one starts shooting at the other side when they happen. Yeah. You know, there's enough <clears throat> and yeah. some issues. But uh, in general, in terms of strategy, or when, they, they must know when someone, I think it's described there, when Prigozhin comes forward and says, like, exactly the kind of thing they want to hear, they were so stunned by it, they didn't act on it because they, they were so suspicious of it. Yeah, of course. You know? And it says in that Washington Post article that he specifically requested comment from the Kremlin about this and they just said nothing. Mm-hmm. Which means the Kremlin obviously knew about well, the validity or not of this claim that Prigozhin had made this kind of offer. Well, they knew more, uh, enough about Prigozhin and the type of person yeah. it was. In hindsight, it's clear like they, they knew they had a snake mm-hmm. and all of that they were waiting for him to, or helping to maneuver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people were so skeptical last week. They were immediately going, like they saw, like what you're saying, that it was farcical. Okay, so it's a ruse. And they were spinning th- theories as to why. Oh, so Putin pretends as well. Prigozhin pretends to be a mutineer slash snake in the grass, traitor, and betraying. Overthinking it, yeah. But then Putin pretends to hit him back. I'm going to punish you. You're going to Belarus with your forces. In preparation for a possible northern offensive on Kiev in, in, to be used in the future. Yeah. You can see why well, people... tell the whole world they, about People it. could see it was a farcical LARP, so they were like, okay, so what's the real intention here? But it, it was... It was simpler than that. Mm-hmm. It was much more mundane. Yeah. But uh, it's, still, it's still bloody dangerous, though. Well, when you see people talking about, like, you know, this is a ruse and... Uh, a way uh, is a way to like exiling or sending Wagner, Prigozhin and Wagner to Belarus is a way to set it up so that they can then, you know, uh, start an offensive down from Belarus towards Kiev. It's like, yeah, 
that's a really good way to uh, telegraph to the entire world what your plans are. You know, <laughs> do it in the context of an international uh, media shitstorm over a coup in Russia, and in the middle of it, you know, a big part of it is mentioned that yeah, we're we're moving. Uh, <clears throat> we're moving Wagner to Belarus, and uh, and then everybody goes, yes, because the reason is you're going to move into Kiev. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Let, let me get on to the Washington Post and just confirm that for them that that's what we're going to do. That's how you do. Uh, that's how you do offensives, right? You tell the entire world about it in advance. You you, you do um, a clever, a tr- <laughs> clever but dangerous incident to make it happen, yeah, rather than just make it happen. Yeah. Right, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, but it, well, Wagner was done like after Bakhmut, their, their main job. Um, apart from you know up to that point, uh, but they were in Bakhmut for like seven months. Last October or something like that was when they really kind of started. Uh, so seven months in Bakhmut, and it seems to me that uh, that they they served their purpose, which was to you know throw themselves into basically a meat grinder, uh, albeit with you know a higher attrition rate. Uh, against the Ukrainians than, than they were receiving, uh, but still, allegedly 20,000 of them were killed in those seven months, probably three, four times that Ukrainians were killed, mm. and it seems to me that that, um, that, the, that that worked as intended, that that was the point, uh, to degrade Ukrainian military manpower to the point that their much-talked-about, much-vaunted much planned offense, offensive Summer offensive uh, basically couldn't even get off the ground, which is what happened. It's what's happening right now. Yeah. So they, you know, sixty, seventy thousand of Ukrainian of the you know best, mostly the best Ukrainian military personnel were killed or injured in Bakhmut, and yeah, counteroffensive has been postponed. <laughs> Our counteroffensive isn't as good as we thought it was going to be because we don't have the manpower because we're putting in fresh recruits who have had two weeks training and, you know, have learned to point and shoot and that's about it. And they're getting wiped out. Yeah, well, speaking of which, yeah. It, it's amazing how another big tell in how not a major crisis that was for Russia last week is that the SMO didn't skip a beat. Mm-hmm. Um the day of, the day after. Here's one from two days after. Um, TASS, a Russian news agency, June 27th, reporting on June 26th activities um, along the front line. Russian forces repel seven Ukrainian attacks just in the Donetsk part of the front line over the past day. So that was roughly 36, 48 hours after the, oh my God, catastrophic coup. Um, there's also a, is, can you scroll down there's usually a timeline on the right side of TAS oh, it doesn't show up on your screen okay they have timelines anyway if you go if you go on TAS today they have like July 2nd Ukraine operations updates and there's like there's like 10 items and 4 of them include the deaths of an estimated three to 500 people at different spots mm-hmm. that's like in the last day mm-hmm. A thousand, thousand five hundred Ukrainians daily still just being ground out. That for me, the the most bizarre thing about this entire conflict is how Ukraine can continue to um, lose manpower um, at the rate they have been. You know, it it varies. Obviously, it's it's varied over the course of the past eighteen months or so. But you know, they've lost a massive amount of 
of, of soldiers and <laughs> in any other, in a normal conflict, long before now, Ukraine would have uh, sued for peace, basically. They would have, uh, you know, they would surrendered yeah. uh, on unfavorable terms. Uh, and of course, the only reason they haven't been doing that is because they, they're being, you know, I don't know what iteration of the Ukrainian army this is, but it's each iteration, as, it, as each iteration of the Ukrainian military is being destroyed by the Russians, uh, the Americans and, and the West send in uh, replacements in the form of, of of equipment, you know. So, I mean, Ukraine had 40 million people, you know. So, what, half of those, probably, there's probably, there's probably several million, at least, let's say there's maybe 10 million, maybe, uh, fighting age, military age males in Ukraine. Um, and they're being pulled from, as we see in in, in the kind of reports of the mobilization, as they call it, people being dragged off the street and stuff. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it, it, that can't last forever. You know what I mean? But it's it's crazy that it's crazy the number of people that they've that they've lost and um, and just carry on, keep going. You know? Um, yeah. It, I don't know what it is at this point. It's probably well, I have it's probably close to three hundred thousand, three four hundred. Well, maybe not four hundred thousand. Certainly close to three hundred thousand dead and injured since the beginning. You know, it's a massive number, like. Any other yeah. country, you know, would just like say, "Okay, listen, this is mad. Let's 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 quit it." You know, here's something from a, a different perspective. It doesn't try to calculate the absolute number that have been killed or injured, but um, it's a survey. A, a Kiev government or private poll of Ukrainians um, uh, from the New Voice of Ukraine via Yahoo News. Almost 80% of Ukrainians have close relatives or friends injured or killed since February last year. Yeah. Uh, if you scroll down, there's actually a, a... That's the broadest sweep, but actually there's something like two-thirds of... Yeah, at the same time, 64% of Ukrainians have at least one close relative of friends who was injured, and 63% have at least one close relative of a friend who died. And it's something like... Um, mm-hmm. maybe it's further down I think something like half no three people so if you're I don't know in your 50s you've got a nephew uh, on one side and a nephew on the other side there's two there's two war dead in, in, in your own like close family nuclear family it's crazy yeah, yeah and I don't know that's another stat I don't know how does anything else compare to it I mean swathes of Iraq were killed or fled as refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be comparable. <clears throat> yeah. But I don't think that many fought either in a resistance against the United States or in the subsequent... No, they didn't fought, but were killed as a result of, of, of the violence. You know what I mean? There's been a lot less. It would be far worse if this was a kind of US, conventional US war. It would be far more civilians dead than... Than, yeah. than, than, than there actually apples are. apples and oranges. Because, it's hard to compare. Cause but the, that, the those are staggering figures given how careful the Russians have been to avoid civilian casualties. If they hadn't been that careful, then those numbers would be far higher. The yeah. percentage might be up to somewhere near uh, 80 or 90% of the population would know someone who had been killed or injured and it wouldn't just be military personnel, it would be civilians as well. But the number of civilian, right. civilian deaths has been, is very small because the Russians have to be careful in terms of avoiding civilian casualties. Like I said, if it was the American, the American approach to Iraq, you know, shock and awe, blow the shit out of... And, and it's not just direct... Deaths and injuries from direct military uh, operations, like as in being, you know, 
killed in a, in, a, in fighting or in, a, in, a, in bombings or something like that, but as a result of the destruction of, of uh, vital inf- infrastructure, you know, um, like sanitary facilities and water treatment plants and all that kind of stuff, like the Americans did in Baghdad, you know. Um, if the Russians had given Kiev the Baghdad treatment, uh, things would be a lot worse, you know. Um, so... Um, Zelensky is still obsessed with Zaporizhia nuclear power plant mm-hmm. um, obviously he's framing that as Russians are going to do it Russians are going to do it uh, maybe that's what Lindsey Graham and Blumenthal had in mind well, when at first, two days before what happened in Russia they had this extraordinary statement they um, I got it here direct from the horse's mouth it was a bipartisan resolution. So it's not a bill, but it's kind of like a bill, um, a statement of intent. I didn't know senators could do this, but, of course, in the U.S. nowadays, there's a gang of eight or some senators. Not all senators are created equal kind right. of thing. Um, so Graham and Blumenthal, yeah, note the date, it's two days before the thing in, Kiev, uh, in Moscow. Introduced resolution to address threat of Russian tactical nukes. Um, key quote is a second paragraph. Graham and Blumenthal noted their resolution holds that any use of a tactical nuclear weapon by Russia, Belarus, or their proxies, or the, destru- or the destruction of a nuclear facility that disperses radioactive contaminants into NATO territory would be viewed as an attack on NATO itself, requiring an Article 5 response. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy posture because they're basically saying if a radiation cloud wafts over from in Ukraine into Poland, presumably, mm-hmm. we're, we go, we're going nuclear in response. We're going to nuke Moscow. We talked about this in the last show, right? We played their, their video, right? We can't have because that predates our last show. It uh, does? That's post-dates, yeah. Um, Probably okay. some other mad statement they made. No, I thought it was... Uh, yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Well, th- that statement about... they. I, Maybe I was talking to someone else about it. Um, they, that statement they made that it would trigger Article 5. Basically, Lindsey Graham said, uh, talked about nukes in general, using a nuclear weapon on Ukraine. This would be crossing red line, basically, blah, blah, blah. We would eviscerate the Russians, you know, in, in his typical style. And then Blumenthal made, expanded it out to say uh, either nukes or a or at the destruction of a nuclear power plant, like obviously Zaporizhia, um, that this would put <coughs> Poland directly in danger because of, of, of the nuclear fallout, fallout right? radiation. Yeah. Um, of course, if you look at <laughs> like Poland's to the west of Ukraine, obviously Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is in the east of, of, of Ukraine itself, and then west of on the western border of Ukraine, you have Poland, and this is supposedly the country that's in danger, would be in danger in this kind of situation, and therefore that would trigger Article 5 of, of NATO, blah, blah, blah. But you look at the uh, dominant winds in that region, you can look at them any day you want, and they're all blowing uh, west to east, or from the Black Sea south to north. Yeah. So any um, any nuclear radiation, however it was produced in that area of Ukraine... Um, would primarily endanger Russian troops and Russian civilians themselves in Western Russia, Southwestern Russia, and 
southern Russia. And Belarus, and, yeah. so, and south, south, uh, south eastern Russia. Yeah. Um, As happened with Chernobyl. Southeastern Russia and south, sorry, southwestern Russia and, 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 yeah, anyway, look at the map. Basically, north of Ukraine and west yeah, and, it, and, it, and east of Ukraine. It's such a stretch and it's crazy. Um, I, th- I wonder, they, they said so retros- retrospectively that this, these two, along with the Gang of Eight, had been briefed the days before it happened mm. that a coup was imminent in Russia. I don't know if they're making the shit up after the fact, mm. but I, I did wonder if this was connected. And that's why they were excited, you know, in their presentation of why they were rushing this forward. Maybe not. Maybe this is kind of a separate scheme. The, they, they were the Zaporizhia, they were nuclear so false flag. High, so high on their own bullshit that they imagined a scenario where there was going to be a coup in Russia. In the next couple of days, Putin was going to fall, and as a last effort, a Samson option, yes. he would nuke. he would nuke Ukraine or cause a false flag in oh, Zaporizhia. Oh, yeah, and that then this and this was a warning to him that if you do that, it'll be even worse because then NATO will come full force after you, and we will eviscerate you. Oh, he, yes, he used that term, eviscerate. <laughs> <laughs> even uh, e- even as you're being deposed, we will invade Russia. NATO will invade Russia and take you to the Hague. So. You've been notified, Putin. Uh, look, you know, I don't. This is this whole this thing's going to get worse. You know, everything's going to get worse. All of this is going to get worse. All we talk about every week in this show, in general terms, our main points are that everything, all major stories and all major events in and the way they're reported in the Western media and the words from Western politicians' mouths are all utter horseshit and provable horseshit. It's all fantasy and nonsense. And that's all we do. We simply say this is absolute nonsense and it's, ex- it's extreme nonsense. And it's hard for me even to get my head around it. And I've been looking at it for 20 years. It's hard for me to get my head around the extent of their delusion. Uh, <laughs> the wheels are off as far as, you know... Yeah. In, in, term, in terms of anybody getting accurate information and people are having hot takes left, right and centre and everything and it's nonsense, it's all complete and utter nonsense it's, it, it may as well be a, a comedy show it is a comedy show uh, in the sense that they're just talking complete nonsense it's like a deranged clown you know, babbling incoherently they may as well just do it they may as well just speak in tongues you know, Lindsey Graham and, and Blumenthal may as well just have spoken in tongues yeah. for all the sense that it made but people take it as serious, then the media reports it, and they broadcast it out there as if it's actually true, and it's not. It's absolutely false. Um, and that, that goes for almost everything these days. Almost every major topic is infused with utter bullshit. Passed off as fact. So, yeah. <laughs> Sisyphus. It's kind of Sisyphus. Sis- Sis- Sisyphusian. Um, you know. Every week, push the boulder up the hill, and then it rolls back down again. Because within the following week, there's another deluge of bullshit that we have to push back up the hill. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah, and I think the 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 events in <coughs> Russia last Saturday were another kind of bellwether of that. Without any actual grand intrigue, um, nor serious, as it turns out, risk of Russia imploding and the nukes. Russia's nuclear arsenal being under threat of being taken over by Prigozhin and blah, blah, blah. People like uh, analyzing it 
the vast majority of them, like, without any media priming at all, because the media is like, I don't, we don't know what's happening. It's news to us. They just like, they've just lost intelligence on on this. It was the wildest, craziest collection of sub- subjectivity I, I've ever seen. I, I was just, yeah, I was just, I don't know. It's it's hard but, because like. From our perspective, like most people in social media and out there in the world who are paying attention and commenting on this are coming out from the point of view of they believe that there's that there's um, some truth or reality to what's actually going on in terms of uh, events that are being reported and how the media reports it and, and that they can get, uh, they can study it and, and derive conclusions from it, you know, as Carl Rove once said, you know, judiciously, you know, that... Uh, um, they, they think they're part of the reality-based community and they can look at these events as they, as they transpire uh, and then derive objective conclusions about it. Uh, the problem is they don't understand that, most people don't understand that, well, the perspective that we come from is that, or that I come from, speak for myself, um, is from a kind of more meta-analysis of the situation that, and that the wheels are off this whole thing. It's going downhill, it's sliding down the slippery slope to, uh, you know, horseshit town basically it's already halfway there and there's no fixing it you know and all these people what i see happen on social media and basically people commenting they're straining to kind of try and get some some sense and some make some make some sense out of it and to draw some objective conclusions about it and they're using information from them from the government and from the media to draw those conclusions and they may kind of Put it, say that it's okay, it's distorted, but here's what's actually going on. When uh, and here's you know by by speaking out, by telling the truth about by exposing those lies, those distortions in the media, then we can fix the whole system, the whole situation, and fix the system. Um, I don't think that's possible um, because the whole system is rotten to the core, basically, and it's on a particular tra- trajectory, and there's no stopping it. And um, I just see these people go through this process of realizing that bit by bit. You know, COVID was an example where a lot of people got their eyes open to the extent of government malfe- malfeasance and uh, and dishonesty around lockdowns and vaccines and the virus and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they, they just need repeated applications of that until they get to the point where they realize actually, you know, these people lie when they open their mouths, basically. But there's no truth to any of it. And there's something else going on. You have to take a different perspective on the whole thing. You know what I mean? A broader perspective. Uh, otherwise, you'll jump at any one event, you know, particular events that happen. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, uh, as an example of it. Um, you jump at events to, to, to try and, you know, as, as evidence that this is... Finally, we they've been exposed. Finally, we've exposed the, the you know one particular lie that's a big enough lie that we can call them to account, and then the system can be corrected or fixed. They'll stop lying, basically, you know. But these people are um, it's it's a state of collective institutionalized delusion that it's self perpetuating at this point, and there's no changing it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the analogy people ought to have is: imagine your government's run by a whole Clown. bunch of Prigozhin's. <laughs> yeah. And they're actively doing all they can to keep a Putin out. Yeah. It, it's the reverse. So you, you will naturally misread what happened in Russia last week was actually a, a, a successful defense mm-hmm. against 
the penetration of a psychopath, mm-hmm. which made Putin and therefore Russia stronger. Which and they they took the complete opposite take home from that. Russia's weaker as mm-hmm. a result of this, mm-hmm. um, which you will interpret it through the lens that you're used to, which is actually a government effectively run by or held hostage to the greed and manipulations of psychopaths doing all their utmost to keep out yeah. that one decent man or woman who might come in and try try to fix it. Hence, Russiagate, Trump, Khan in Pakistan, mm-hmm. you name it, Corbyn in Britain, he's reasonably good, right? And the same for the so-called evil populace that in training people to hate. That's a system run by psychopaths in training you to hate the right. one person trying to come in to actually course correct. Right. So you can still see why they invested in it. People do try to vote. They try to mm-hmm. uh, activate. They're activating and agitating now for RFK Jr. and the mm-hmm. Democrats side over the United States. Mm-hmm. They still are invested in it because they're trying to get the one good man to come in. Right, to fix it, yeah. But the system is so rigged against them that, you know, God yeah. help you. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah, you understand why people are doing it, but you're like, you've seen this hundred times before and the outcome of every single attempt yeah. in the West anyway is utter failure. And yeah. in fact, it's what the result always is that the regime gets stronger. Yeah. People believe the in, one. People believe in myth- mythos. You know, this goes back to, to 9-11, let's say. It goes back longer than that, obviously, but let's say 9-11, freedom and democracy, spreading freedom and democracy around the world, fighting terrorism. Right? People believe that. However cynical a lot of people were about that, they still believe that Somewhere in the system, there was something actually was being honest when it said it was about freedom and democracy and fighting terrorism and protecting the homeland. Uh, all of these noble ideas. So all of these, behind it, if, if you stop for a second and accept, just as a, as a mental exercise, accept the idea that all of the major players in this drama, particularly in the West, are all motivated by one thing, which is money and personal power. And personal power is a means to money. So it's ultimately money. That's all they're interested in. And everything they say that isn't that, they never say that, obviously. So everything they say is not that. It's something else. It's obviously they, 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 know, they understand, they're smart enough to realize that they have to, to cover that up and, in fact, project the opposite idea, which is that I'm a public servant. I'm here to help the people. I'm trying to preserve freedom and democracy. I'm trying to stop bad people from doing bad things, etc., etc., etc. That's all just talk, completely hollow and, and, and meaningless. Uh, they're meaningless platitudes, basically. They don't care about that at all. So when they act, they act from, per, from the perspective of gaining personal power and the end result of it, which is money and personal enrichment. Um, so that's going to cause they're going to increasingly appear to be doing exactly the opposite of what they say they want to do because their prime motivation is personal interest which is, stands in direct opposition to public public interest or, or serving the public or being a public servant um, and it's people grappling with that 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 um, Contradiction, let's say, or the, the the friction or the tension between those those two things, what they say and what they actually do, and trying to figure it out, and not wanting to believe that these people are actually only absolutely entirely motivated by personal interest and power and wealth. They don't want to believe that because then we're screwed, right? The whole thing has to be, the whole system has to be taken down, it has to be wiped away. The experiment has to be 
wiped from the petri dish and started again. And that's nobody wants to believe that. So they still hold on to the idea. No, maybe they are actually trying to do this at least a little bit. Uh, there's some good people, or there's some good in some of these people, and, um, and and maybe they just make mistakes, you know. And, and you know the mental gymnastics you have to get into to try and find the bit of good in a person who's fundamentally rotten, and how you how you delude yourself, and how that then twists your own ability to actually see what's actually going on, and you start doing these hot takes and different things, and you just mess it up. You, you, you don't, you have no ability to read reality correctly. Are you are you increasingly diminish your ability to um, to read reality correctly. And then you put that out on, on social media. And other people agree with you or disagree with you coming from their perspective, and it's just a big shit show. Yeah, like the next major topic, the um, riots in France this week. Yeah. Um, hot takes, you know, all of the France is falling. France is falling. Europe is falling, has fallen, all, done, I saw undusted. Folks, like all major cities in France are burning. Yeah. Like and that implies all of the major cities. Let's say I don't know that five or ten, five, six, seven major cities, and all of those cities are burning. So the entire city, like so, for example, Paris has eleven million people. Does that include the the outskirts? I don't know. In terms in terms of the metropolitan area, it's eleven million people. So is that all? Are all the eleven million people also burning with all of Paris or Lyon with four million? All four million and all of Lyon. I mean, you know, words matter. You know, when you when you say something like that. I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so when someone tweets something like that or writes something like that, it's entirely false. I'm not even going to say. I, I would take away any any credit to them to, that they're actually referring to an actual situation that's happening because you exaggerated it so much. I'm going to say that what you said is 100 percent false. No major cities in France are burning. None. How's that for a headline? None. There are no major cities on fire in France. On fire? What does on fire mean? You know, so that kind of bullshit just... And, and people... But I understand why people, people are coming at it from that perspective. And people who, you know, I kind of, to some extent, respect and, you know, think that they have a... Sometimes at least have a good take on things. They still come out with that bullshit because it confirms... Because they have this sense that... You know, because they'd be on the same side as us, let's say, where they see the, the corruption and evil in, in, in the West and, and what it's doing to the world it has been doing for the world for a long time and you 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 know and by the west you include obviously america western europe and stuff and anything you see any troubles you see those countries having you kind of like get a bit excited and think finally they're getting their comeuppance you know the evildoers in, in western countries are getting their comeuppance you know their societies are collapsing this is your own fault and you'll gloat a little bit over over the fall you know um so i can understand where they're coming from but that just they're just i i mean That'll happen by itself on its own time. There's no point to point and jump in the gun and uh, and claiming that it's happening right now. Because then, like, do you actually care what's happening right now? I mean, something is happening in France right now, but do people actually care about it? Or is it more about just sounding off on social media and saying, yeah, I knew this was going to happen one day. Take that, France. I hate Macron. Yeah. Next. Like, the, the initial takes were like, ah, oh, the French people are rising up yeah. against the WEF, right? Yeah, and Rothschild puppet Macron. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Klaus Schwab is you um, know, is on the guillotine already and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. well, the French Ministry of the Interior's stats as of yesterday: five nights of rioting in forty-five thousand police deployed, including quote special forces, two and a half thousand people arrested. Um, 
an unknown number in total, hundreds of policemen injured, two and a half thousand street fires, which includes 1,350 torch vehicles, mm-hmm. 234 fires to public property, mm-hmm. and all told on national, municipal, and gendarmerie attacks, about 50 attacks against police stations and barracks. Mm. Um, that's not nothing. It's interesting. No. But I, I suppose we, being here, we've seen this before. This has happened in France before. Like, rioting now is so common that people, no one has mentioned that just two months ago, there were mass demonstrations in France. There were 10 general strikes in March over pension reform. Mm-hmm. And that was largely union-led, so it was largely more in the peaceful protest spectrum of things. Except, but there were riots. There was rioting, too. people getting their heads bloodied by, by cops, which is part of the course Peace, of the yeah. Yeah, there was, there were, I mean, and I've seen some people confuse footage, like of crowds running away from gendarmes firing um, tear gas at crowds. That actually took place in April mm-hmm. with events this week. Mm-hmm. And it all gets jumbled up, you mm-hmm. know. Um, this is not the same thing as the Yellow Vest Rebellion, if you can call that a rebellion at all. Because that emerged genuinely grassroots. It tended to come in smaller towns in the countryside. This has come from a few places but the, in the, the major sub- cities. suburbs of the major cities are the and it's, inner cities. And it's very like, you know, what happened in the U.S. when George Floyd mm-hmm. died under police arrest and there was outrage and mayhem. And at the time, same thing. The hyperbole was like, all the cities are burning. There were a, there was a lot. It was a big issue. There were a lot of riots mm-hmm. in a lot of parts of a lot of cities, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like the U.S. is falling. All of America is on fire. Um, I, comparably, we found one in 2005. There were riots um, that lasted. There was a state of emergency declared. That had not yet happened here under Chirac. So, what, 2005? Mm-hmm. 18 years ago, mm-hmm. um, a long, hot summer, because in that case, police had, um, they were they were answering a break-in, <clears throat> and a bunch of kids nearby were afraid the police were going to come and start interrogating them. Mm-hmm. So they ran away from them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they were actually chased. That's still unknown. It's unclear whether the police had actually chased them. But these kids jumped into a, a transformer, a substation, and two of them got electrocuted and it caused a blackout. Mm-hmm. And then there was outrage. The police did this to our boys and the um, mm-hmm. mostly Muslim minority populations in some suburbs of major cities, beginning in Paris where it happened, mm-hmm. started rioting. And the similar stats, a number of arrests, how long it lasted, street fires and so on, it's similar in scale. Mm-hmm. That happened, you know, 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it came and went, and the sun still shone and things got relatively peaceful again. It, the thing is, in this time... Yeah. It's a different time. These, these, 2005, right? One of these things... They are happening faster and faster. Like mm-hmm. I said, we've just had back-to-back issues, mm-hmm. although they're very they're apples and oranges that cause pressure on the government and the police, and they act 
in general more and more aggressively because they're getting attacked from all quarters now. Look at the look at the basic uh, different routes between the three things. Twenty eighteen yellow vest, largely rural, largely poor, largely French white uprising. Mm-hmm. Um, pension reform, protests slash riots, largely cities, but more Macron's electorate. Mm-hmm. They're his people, in quotes. More middle class. We don't want to retire. You know, we're pushing back against the government. They're going too far. Macron says, no, I'm pushing this through. Mm-hmm. And he declares by decree that he's going to change the age of retirement. Mm-hmm. And now this latest one is urban working class wouldn't vote for Macron, wouldn't vote at all. Pretty much they consider themselves rejected by the system. They're forgotten. This third group was dead quiet all the way through Yellow Vest. Right. They didn't participate. They yeah. were like, this isn't our fight. This is a French. Yeah. We're not French. They are French, but they're caught in between. They're three and four generations uh, back. They were the sons of and grandkids of migrants mm-hmm. as a result, m- mainly of France's colonial past. Mm-hmm. But they're French. But they were dead quiet through all the other crises that came just before this. And this is just another section of the population going mental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the and thing that provokes them is when one of them, one of them is treated by the police in one way or another. That's when they really uh, do this kind of thing. <clears throat> yeah, it's a different dynamic, yeah. I mean, the Elvis were there were 11 deaths. Mm-hmm. Some of them were run over by other civilians, but... Some, Others were killed or by ma- the police. Maimed by flashbangs and stuff. They're, yeah. They died as a result of police brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't have them. People many did. hundreds lost arms right. and eyes right. uh, yeah. during yeah. that. And there was no. There, there was then. That no, did, no mass that's well, it did. It did perpetuate, probably. Kept the protests going, but they, they were organized protests type thing. There was no mass ratting and burning down buildings. There was no turning on the country itself. There was brief. There was briefly. Yeah, but not to the, the, not to the same extent, and not in the same way that it seems to happen with these people, where they t- burn cars, burn buildings, and loot, loot, and loot stores. That yeah. that wasn't a hallmark of the Yellow Vest protests because they had an actual, uh, a, an actual grievances, a list of grievances that were political about, about the way the country was being run. They weren't not going to burn down their own towns or their own sections of their own cities or, uh, and destroy them. The group that uh, has been engaging in the riots or the demographic that has been engaging in these riots over the past four, four or five days uh, seem to be uh, seem to express their resentment in that way or seem to identify <clears throat> or seem to yeah seem to express the nature of their complaints um, or convey the nature of their complaints by by burning buildings looting buildings and setting fire to things they want to destroy well they don't have an ideology, is the thing. I see a lot of people hot takes on this from the UK and from the US and stuff. Is that this is radical Islam? This is—I mean, people have no idea. Like they, you know, a lot of people think that this is actually immigrants. This is these are immigrants coming from <coughs> Muslim countries, and amongst them, of course, are radical uh, Islam, Islamist or ISIS types. And that this is basically ISIS that's doing this, right? This is ISIS who's burning yeah. burning buildings in France. Uh, they see the footage, and <coughs> in their head. 
the soundtrack is Allah Akbar. Yes. And they hear that now and but again, but that's not what's going on. These, these kids days. don't go to mosques. <laughs> no, they don't go to mosque, and they, they certainly wouldn't cite radical Islam as their uh, as an explanation for their behaviour. You know, um, they're very they're, they're at, the, at the same time. There's a similarity between the the so-called ideology of radical Islam and ISIS and stuff like that, which is to you know uh, destroy Western society. Right? That that they're they're um, to burn it all down. Yeah, that it's that, kind of an anarchist that, thing. That they're heathens, basically. Uh, that they're godless, godless Westerners, and they need to be all burned at the stake, type thing. And, and their cities need to be burned to the ground. Uh, of course, you can, so you can see how people make, make that connection. Um, but the, but generally speaking, looting and burning, uh, burning cars, burning buildings, looting. It's just uh, chaos. It's just anarchy. It's just, and particularly young people on the streets. Poor just, laugh. And it's, it is fueled by social media. They put up the videos on social media and they're all having a, they're all laughing when they're doing it. They're all having a yeah. good, good time, right? So it's like they bring other people, that gets other people out into the streets and, you know, it swells the numbers and stuff, you know. But as to the actual people who are doing this, uh, they're French citizens, although they're all of either primarily Algerian or Moroccan descent and some other African former French colonial uh, African origin. Um, but they're all, the vast majority of them are all French citizens. Most of them have actually been, were born in France. Uh, some of them was their grandparents who came to France. Um, and what's their, what's, their, what's their beef? Their beef is, well, it's snowflakery. It's, well, it's not. It's, again, I, I could just leave it at just chaos. At, at um, um, young people with no direction, no outlet, no guidance, no proper parenting, and this is once they get the word to go out and it's it's like a free for all to go and wreck and loot, then they do it. You know how many people in Ferguson or in any of the cities or any of the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests, or 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 are the protests in America by black? Black people, black Americans, particularly black youths, what would what would they actually when they're looting shops? What's their grievance? What's, you can go up and interview one of them. So, so tell me, how does looting this shop um, or burning this building? How is that going to further your your cause, the cause that you're fighting for? And he's like, cause? What cause? Uh, I don't have a cause. I'm here just to loot. You know what I mean? That was what 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 grievance was being addressed or redressed by that kind of violence in, 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 in cities, in inner cities in America, by, by black youths. They're simply expressing anger, supposedly, and say, okay, a lot of them might have, would have anger over, who was it, Brown? Somebody Brown was the first guy in Ber- Ferguson, or, yeah. or George Floyd, whatever. They identify with Mike George Brown. Mike Brown, or they identify with George Floyd, and they see it as well. I, I sometimes I got I got like bad manners from a cop one time, or I got stopped too many times by cops, or cops tend to kind of like come up to me and search my bag too often, or they you know whatever well, they in, give me a hard in, time. In the and there I'm going to take that out on. In the United States, it's a lot more evolved than that. They, they, if you go up to them and ask, they will actually have ready-made slogans ready. It's systemic racism. I'm not interested and, and in slogans. Perpetuating like the colonial injustice against our people who were brought here as slaves. They have all that to hand because it's, it's, right. been, it's been so... Um, but those, that, that's, 
Let's, let's Black Lives Matter protest, peaceful protest. You can do that if you want, and then you can, you can ask those people or you can argue back and forth about whether their, their, their arguments are, are, are valid, if there's any, any, any validity to the idea of you know, institutional racism and all that kind of stuff and blah, blah. But when it gets to burning and looting, what does that achieve? You know what I mean? Is that, is that, is that tied to your ideology? Are are tied to your grievance? Tied to your, your, uh, are you? Well, it's hard to separate. Like just taking down statues, was that a political statement or was that a destructive statement in itself? Well, targeting one statue can still be tied to your ideologies and your beliefs, however wrong they might be or however, mm-hmm. uh, but when you're simply going randomly burning cars and looting buildings and burning buildings, mm-hmm. that's all you're doing. You don't have an ideology and you can't claim to have an ideology because people who have an actual coherent uh, belief or, or, or a set of injustices that they claim are, are true uh, and that they are being you know, discriminated against. Uh, people who, who have that, they tend to just march, they sign petitions, they, they, they try to do it through the political process because they realise that the, that, that the problem, let's say, from their perspective is in government or whatever, so... We need to change the way government functions and change the laws that are passed or we need to, whatever, all the different ways that you try to change that your, that, that, that situation or that in, institutional racism that you claim is, exists within the country. You're certainly not going to change it by burning a building down, unless it's capital, unless it's Congress. Maybe you do it then. But they don't do that. They just burn shops and burn cars and shoot weapons and stuff. And that doesn't... So the people who do that I discount them as having any any meaningful um, axe to grind, let's say, or any or, or, or any, having having any meaningful role to play in society, let's say, because <clears throat> they're not even playing the meaningful role, meaningful role they could have, which is go and get a job uh, and uh, be, be a citizen. You know what I mean? Rather than being out. At that point, a liberal steps in and says, "Hang on, there, Joe. They can't just go and get a job because." They don't have the same opportunities. They didn't have the same education. They didn't have the same. Those are, those are just statements that that are unsubstantiated. But that's what they. That's that's like uniform in France as in the U.S. That's a, that's when they'll step in to project onto the entire self identity of we don't fit into the society because we're oppressed people. Ah, but you see, no, you can't just say that about them. Why don't you just lift yourself up by the bootstraps and go and get an education or get a job? Yeah. Um, well, some people aren't smart enough to get an education, and so they. And maybe the other ones are looting. You know, they didn't budge. There wasn't a peep from them. The whole of lockdowns, no. The whole of forced vaccinations, no. Probably because they just ignored that. Because mm-hmm. they still had the handouts. Yeah. It was easier for them, yeah. They were Nothing free, changed free money, yeah. substantially. For most other people, working people, they were like, okay, this has radically changed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it. They felt the psychological terror of the situation. There was no pressure that built up in the suburban areas where they live. No. And, a, you know, a, 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 it was just waiting to boil over. Now, that argument might have been used in the United States case because the George Floyd thing came right on the heels of the end of the first lockdown, mm-hmm. which happened more or less uniformly in most states as it did in other places. So you can see why that 
tangentially makes a sense. They too, in fact, being poor, they felt the effects of lockdown worse than the maybe the middle class people had a decent home to hang to hang out in. They could zoom and stuff mm. with their computers with their friends. Mm. But the poor people, they really felt the pinch mm-hmm. of. And then, of course, immediately after that, prices started played, rising, inflation. If, so once they felt it played a part, I think it played a part. But I think it, the George Floyd protests would have happened anyway. Uh, regardless of lockdown or not lockdown, what happened? Because you notice, like in France, I think in in the last year, there's been 33, 33 people or whatever have been shot by cops. Most of them, I think, it's thirteen, but I, not I know, kill, not killed, shot. But okay. thirteen, okay, so thirteen killed. Uh, but um, it seems, and, and none of them provoked this right. this reaction. So, and the same with George Floyd. There's a lot of people who like got similar treatment to George Floyd at the hands of cops. And uh, but here, there's a video. It's the video, and it's the con- it's the way in which it happens. You know, it's it's the uh, there's various different elements. You know, um, but generally speaking, video and um, just the 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 feel of it, if you know what I mean, the, the story around it, or what the story tells to people. You know what I mean? In another situation, if it's like you know, some, I don't know, there was another one where a girl was in France where two girls had got into a car with a guy after a nightclub, whatever, he was giving them a lift home and he ran through two, two police checkpoints or stops because he had no license and one of the cops fired into the car and hit one of the girls and mm. killed one of the girls. And all three of them were from Algerian descent, right? So that that demographic. Uh but you never heard about it. And there are other situations like that, similar situations. But that's too messy. It's too like, well, what was actually going on there? And, you know, how close was the cop? But this video, and of course, there probably wasn't video of it. But this video of the cop, like, you know, shooting him kind of point blank range right there. He was 17. There's various different boxes that have to be ticked to say yes, yes, yes. And then, okay, that, that activates the riot response. Yeah. It's weird. But... Um, so it's not consistent, and but anyway, and I don't, uh, I don't buy the whole discrimination thing in the same way I don't buy it, it, the Black Lives Matter and the you know institutionalized racism and all that kind of stuff in America. I don't buy the same. I don't uh, in, the, in the same way I don't buy the claims that uh, the demographic in France of you know so there's about ten somewhere between ten twelve percent of um, French citizens are of Moroccan or Algerian. Yeah. Descent. They're not Palestinians living under conditions that couldn't justifiably be described no. as apartheid. No, and they're, where they're, the law specifically state you're a second class right. citizen. And the majority of them are born in France, speak France French fluently, obviously. They have that connection back to Algeria or Morocco, and they might go there on holidays, whatever, and they have the cultural background of, you know, they're being Muslim and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they're French. Um, and they're not discriminated against in any institutional way. Like when someone says there's institutional racism, the first question uh, I, uh, the first thing I say to that is, I want to, I want to, the person to tell me or show me how we're on the on the the laws of the country that institutional racism is is kind of mandated. You know, evidence where it's not 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 that it'll be called institutional racism, but that there are laws that are discriminatory against ethnic minorities in the country. Show me the law first, because if you say institutional, you mean you mean institutions of the state, right? So you mean government laws. They have to be on the books. Show me the books. If they're not there, then that that argument goes. You can't you can't substantiate that. Maybe then you go to what amongst the population, 
that there's a racism within people. And again, then, again, it's more evolved. You know, it says that's why there was 20, ever since the 60s really, but in the last 20 years has come to the fore, such that you now read it en passant, stated matter-of-factly in a regular news report, where before it was a crazy idea on the fringes of academia, mm. which is, ah, but, you see, Joe, this is where the Liberal steps in and does some explaining to you. Mm. He says, yes, it's not on the books, but there's unconscious biases. This all happens in the back of your brain, and you don't see that it's actually coming out of you. And They've created this, 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 this climate in which... It's per, it is perpetuating the wor- the expressions of the worst in people who, oh, Adam, it, it's, it's it's giving them the rationale. It's explaining on their behalf a rationale for why they loot and burn and don't want to actually be contributing to their own country. Mm-hmm. Don't um, be responsible citizens. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, bottom line is, I don't, I don't. I don't think it's the case. Um, I don't think. I think the vast majority of people of Algerian and Moroccan descent in France don't have any legitimate grievances, uh, and if they maintain that uh, an animosity towards France and towards the French people and towards the French government, etc., for those reasons, you know, claiming that they're discriminated against or that you know we're not welcome in France, or whatever. Then they should uh, they should leave. Uh, leave to go where? S- wherever. Go back to the bled. Go back to uh, right. Go back it, to the Maghreb. If it's so good, it's kind of the if it's so good over there, why don't you go live there? Well, no, they wouldn't say it's it's good <laughs> over there, <laughs> and that's in fact they're much better off in France than they would be if they're living back at home. Probably that's why most most of them don't go there. So yeah, I just don't. Don't think there's any justification for it, and I think it's got to do with something else. I think there's something else. I think it's. I tell you what, Macron said it. Um, yeah, I have it. I, Joe Scotty's going to put it up in a second. Comment there in um, a comment section. Zidane the goat, maybe he's uh, French, uh, says they just hate the country France for no reason. You're, you're right. There, because you can't get you can't get a solid cohesive argument out on them as to why they hate it. They do act like they hate it. And there's no ideology that they cite. Well, so, yeah, you can't they, get a reason for but they do act like they hate the well, country. Well, you can hate it for colonial reasons. You know what I mean? Ideological colonial. Like, I don't like the English. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. No, I know. It's not okay, that I, no, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like the English. I say that, but it's a silly statement to say, obviously, because I do like English, English people. I know I have friends who are English and I do like them. Uh, so I have to talk in generalities and then I have to uh, talk about the English mentality, let's say, and then I have to go back into history to show examples of how that English mentality, as I describe it, uh, led to this arrogance and imperialism and subjugation of other people and, you know, abuse of other people. Uh, but for me to kind of take that from, you know, dig that out of history, bring it forward to today, pretend it's still real today, uh, and then to go and then to use any opportunity to start attacking, you know, basically burning and looting the, the country. Uh, England, for example, say I moved to England. <laughs> if you like, if I moved to England, right, as an Irish person, I moved to England and then started going on about uh, institutional racism of English people against Irish people. 
And it goes way back, it's 800 years of history there, and all the abuses and the colonial abuses, and it's still in the minds of English people where they make jokes about Irish people in England, and that at any moment where any, I look at the news every day and I look for any example of any Irish person being abused anywhere in England, and then I get people together and we all go and burn Sheffield or something. Uh, you know, if I didn't like, if I had such a problem with England, I simply wouldn't live there. I'd go back to Ireland, or I'd go somewhere else, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'd have to be crazy yeah. to, to 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 make that the focus of my life anyway. You know, where I get so worked up about it, um, to redressing historical grievances that I'm going to create, you know, to whatever extent contribute to creating chaos in the country today. And not only that, but in the case of these people, burning my own local shops or the cars of my neighbours. It's just stupid. Obviously. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned <coughs> Macron's statement. Yeah, put it up there. Um, this, is from, this is from two years ago. Yeah. Um, Emmanuel Macron blames imported US ideas for French society becoming radicalized. Um, it's short. Let's go down and read it. Read this up, Helen. No, let, let's, that, okay. that's just a summary of it. It's, it's worth reading in full, though. Um, so he laments that French society is becoming radicalized. I see that our society is becoming progressively radicalized, he told Elle magazine in an interview. Um, he took idea, he took aim in particular at the idea of intersectionality, popular among left-leaning U.S. academics that seeks to explain discrimination and poverty by examining the role played by race, blah, 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 blah. Uh, oh, yeah, and because these are all factors that affect life chances. Again, the, that, that's what I was talking about earlier. Like, oh, yeah, but it may not be on the <clears throat> books, but... Um, Macron said the logic of intersectionality fractures everything. I stand for universalism. I don't agree with a fight that reduces everyone to their identity or their particularity. Okay. Uh, Scroll down and see if there's anything more he said. Okay. There's no other quote from him. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, I'm in favor of dressing properly at school for girls as well as boys. Everything that is a marker of identity or a desire to shock or stand out shouldn't be at school. Okay. I think that was Macron. It was one of his ministers. Okay. Go back up there. Do you notice his response to his rejection, which is sound? Definitely, and he's correctly identifying that it's coming from the United States, along, by the way, with everything else, like the LGBT thing. That's that's why I call it a foreign ideology. It, mm-hmm. it's, it came from America, but it's, pre- it's presenting itself as universally, obviously, de facto, you know, mm-hmm. true on the face of it. He says in response, I don't like this new thing, intersectionality, because it fractures everything. I stand for universalism. Mm-hmm. The problem is this problem. This is this isn't the solution either. This is a sixty-year-old problem or more in France. Mm-hmm. They, and it's it's now it, it is on a par on scale because it's about roughly thirteen percent of the French population is either North African Muslim or North African black or black African descent. So it's a large minority, right? Universalism. What do you mean by that? Well, that's a reference to the way we've 
been managing the integration of these people who basically came as a result of colonialism, mm -hmm. especially after World War II, when we needed them. Mm -hmm. We invited them over here to work. And then we had let them bring their families too, and there was a form of chain migration which took off in France in the late 70s, okay? That's how you ended up with just a large number today. So these aren't, obviously, the new migrants. These are long-term people who have been there. And their grandparents, the first comers, did integrate. Maybe they were mosques for them, but they weren't at all radical. But 9-11 started to change that. You actually ironically went from a, a generation of secular French Muslims of Maghrebian descent who had the word, they were already secularized, but they were re-radicalized by 9-11 on the mm -hmm. war on terror. Partly, because in the end, the result is actually not, there's a few of them, obviously, that are jihadis. They were implicated in, you know, stabbings and specific atrocities that have happened. But they're, they're still only a minority. And then they're true when they get in prison. That's, in French prison, they're more likely to be radicalized there. But for the most part, it's not so much that 9-11 made them go radical. But the, the, the French government after 9-11 began to legislate because... They, against the hijab, mm -hmm. the women were not, the girls were not to wear it in school. Mm -hmm. And to make it universal, universalism, the cross was all, you could not display any, any sign of the cross and either. Religious. Right. We're blanking all of it out. No one, if you don't get to wear the hijab, and then you, therefore you can't display that you're a Christian. There, problem solved. Did that help? No, it fucking didn't help. It had the opposite effect. Because you, you, can, you can't get a secular Muslim. You can, kind of. You can get a much more toned down, fairly reliably able to integrate and, and be at peace with, in harmony with the rest of society. Yeah. Muslim. But it was, what was going on with 9-11 and the terror attacks and the wars in Syria and Libya was having an effect on them. It was, and, and then the, the pressures they were feeling at home. Okay, we're marked out as being different. We were doing okay there integrating. It was yeah. going somewhere, and now it's definitely going the other direction. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying the kids thought of all this and are, are ideologically coming up with a coherent response to it. They're caught in no man's land. If you look at them, they're actually, they're actually the product of several waves of ideological exports in the United States. Mm -hmm. One of them is hip-hop gang culture mm -hmm. that is cool in itself just to be a street urchin, mm -hmm. okay? The other one is, uh, well, the, the whole identity politics, that it's much more important that I'm part of my tribe, and they respond mm -hmm. as a tribe whenever mm -hmm. one of us is attacked mm -hmm. in diverse cities. It, it, it's so okay. tribal in nature, there were riots this week, overseas mm. in French Martinique or yeah. somewhere and there's no there's no yeah. Muslims there I was a black person there going I've identified with yeah so yeah the, the, I mean the war on terror the whole American war on terror was a big like you said was a big big aspect of that war and the effects of the war on terror and the resulting terror attacks on European soil and particularly quite a few in France pretty brutal attacks and jihadi spreading this idea of the caliphate and you know it encouraged them the idea of, 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 of people that, that were susceptible to it the idea that they're separate, that they're, they're a separate identity in France, and that they're not only that, but they're they're um, they're not exactly well disposed towards the French and French culture and French society, right? You know, it it had a it had a it had a, a vague, let's say, or a, a kind of a a subtle effect 
on the population, not on everybody, because most people, most people, most people of that descent in France are, are sensible people. But you know what I mean? It, there's so many different factors to it, like you're saying, uh, to to that ideological priming and pro, pro, programming of of a population to be separate and be identical. I mean, look at what's happened in America. Like we talked about already, what the way the separation between some black 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 Americans and the rest of America. Um, it's no surprise that it's happening. The same thing is happening in France. You know what I mean? Because of the demographic situation, the demographic setup of France, it's it's ripe for it. You know, there's other countries that surprisingly it could happen in as well, like Germany as well. It could happen. But yes, and they're the all same. Western countries. Right. Russia has a 13 percent minority Muslim. Right. It doesn't happen there. Right. Contrast <clears throat> this. Um, um, last week was the, the second largest holiday in the, the calendar for 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 from um, aid. aid. Eid al-Fatr, Eid al-Assad, or something like that. Anyway. Eid al-Barak. Eid al-Barak. Um, Putin makes a point of going to a Muslim-majority region, Dagestan, of joining the festivities locally. He's seeing all of Russia sees it. He wants them to see that he's part of it. Uh, the local mufti or chief imam gives him solemn ceremony, gives him a book. It's, it's a historic copy of mm. their Quran, local Quran or something. And Putin gives a speech, uh, you know, how I will cherish this and I will take this back and I will put it in the Kremlin on display next to the Orthodox icons, you know, to show that it's, it's, there's social and religious harmony well, between our people. On the same day, to mark the event in Sweden, with the press there, the press were brought in, make sure you film this, with the police cordon, police line, you know, ticker tape around him to make sure that it would show that it was legally sanctioned, that no one was to be allowed to stop or interfere with what he was doing. A Swedish man burned a copy of the Koran. Right. And I don't know how that happened, but Stoltenberg is apparently now a spokesman for Sweden or the European Union because he gives a statement about it as head of NATO. And he says, well, you, the, you know, Stoltenberg, Stoltenberg, well, he still got some, managed to get a coherent defense of it out. He says, well, in the West, in Europe, you have freedom of expression. Hmm. And this is illegal. This is legal. It is because we are sovereign types of people. Hmm. And like, dude, you're not going to produce the outcome you, you think you are. That everyone can just get along. I get to burn the Quran, you get to... Everybody can burn each other's religious books. Yeah. It's almost willfully destructive, mm -hmm. you know, what he did. And you just contrast the two treatments of this. Mm -hmm. So there's a French commentator called uh, Bertrand, Arnaud Bertrand. He's an expat in China. He's got a big following because he just comparisons of East-West and how things get along. And he's like, another country that has a 13% minority, Muslim minority, is Singapore. They have on the books laws, um, a kind of a affirmative action type laws that the Kennedys tried to set up in the United States for social harmony between blacks and whites where, you know, uh, it began a process that took a generation where there was no more rioting or inter-religious inter uh, street battles to the point where today there's harmony and whenever there's a Muslim holiday, it's a holiday for everyone. Mm -hmm. The whole country recognized because and he was basically saying, why can't we have this in France? Just institute it. He was kind of like, you know, he's one of our activists who wishes to correct course. He sees the logical step that should be done to fix the problem. But the problem is so... Macron just gave a clue as to why the problem can't be fixed, I think. If Macron was speaking 
in the way that Putin does, where he wears his Christianity on his sleeve. He wants you to see that he's a practicing, even if he, whether he is or believes or not, is irrelevant. He wants to be seen as an orthodox Christian, mm -hmm. but not, therefore, as an extremist. But he... That he values religious, religious beliefs. That in general, and that then he can appreciate that of others. Macron defend defended against the ideological onslaught by reverting to universalism, mm -hmm. secular... Secular monism. That's totally the wrong thing. The only way you could have harmony in Europe between countries with large minorities that are not going to drop, even though those kids are not practicing, they're not going, they're not saying we're Muslim. The thing is, culturally, they are. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's, in the back of their minds, that's what they can't get out of. They insist they're not French and they hate the country, but they're born here. They're French. But they're not allowed to freely grow and love and express both. Mm -hmm. That they're French. Because they're separate. And that they have Muslim origin. Yeah, France they're told over secular. and over again, all is secular. Wipe all religion from your mind. We'll, ju we'll just do a mind wipe and it'll be gone. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You would need a leader to say... Europe, a bit like Orban, a bit like Orban, he, 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 you know, again, whether he's a believer or not, he keeps citing again Europe's traditional roots. It, they are Christian. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we're all going, you know, extremists again. We're not about to start the Crusades again. Right. But if we acknowledge what we are and stop pretending we're universal and secular and uh, by implication better than the entire rest of the world who's mm -hmm. all backwards with the traditional stuff, then... A French leader coming from that position can say to the Muslim, I recognize the value of what you have mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And we can start to live harmoniously. Mm -hmm. There can be a mosque here and down the end of the, end of the street, there can be a cathedral where people are back actually visiting mm -hmm. and going to mass in. There's no reason why the two can't be on the same street and there should be projectiles being flung at each mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. But that's what's happening from as a result of their good intentions to universally just wipe the slate clean mm -hmm. it's and turn it all secular. It's a reading of basic human psychology and the, and the psychology or the, you know, the psychological makeup of the, of, of the people in the country, you know, and the value of religious beliefs or some kind of spiritual or religious beliefs. And you, know, you have a history, you have a tradition, Christian tradition, um, Islam, Muslim, and, and um, you know, Jewish, etc., etc., Hindu, whatever. And they've survived that long, for, not for no reason, right? I mean, it's like, it's a part of of people's psychological uh, makeup, basically. Uh, the need for some kind of belief in the transcendent. <clears throat> and if you try and get rid of that, well, yeah, you're going to, not only are you going to impoverish society, but you're going to, on, on, and people who have more hardcore religious beliefs are more attached to their religion, you're going to find a lot of, get a lot of pushback. You're not going to be. So it's a massive misreading of it. And almost deliberate, is it willful, deliberate misreading of the situation in the sense that they're not misreading it, they're doing it because, or are they just deluded? Who knows? Um, but yeah, France is, France is difficult in the sense, like I said, th those attacks, um, the kind of, uh, the Bataclan, the Charlie Hebdo, the ISIS, so-called ISIS attacks. Um, again, you know, at the time we, we concluded that they were probably not what they seemed to be, but anyway, um, what the, the effect they had was to, um, at least in a lot of French people's minds, and especially the ones who buy buy Macron's secular uh, secular thesis, that 
Islam was just not compatible with any civilized society. So you can't, you know, so they, they would back Macron in, in his secular, secular ideas, you know, uh, that France should be a secular country. So um, that, that had a, a, a made it more difficult, let's say, for some kind of a pluralistic, religious, religiously pluralistic society that was um, supported and validated by the state, you know. Yeah. In the immediate aftermath, it was very, very hard for any. Uh, of course, they said it. You know, Islam is a religion of peace. Blah blah blah. But they had to say that because so many people were thinking the opposite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because of those traumas, and it wasn't just in um, in France. It was in Spain, in um, in the UK, and in various other European countries. Well, that was going on. It was a period of time when, it, when they hit it pretty hard. You know, and. Um, yeah, so it suggests, again, we'd have to get into a sort of different topic, but you know, who's actually behind those kind of attacks and what their motivation is uh, kind of speaks to what I was saying earlier on about how it's not really a... The problem isn't really soluble when you realise the, the, the forces involved in, in directing society down this, down this slippery slope, you know. Um, but, yeah. So, well, I mean, you talk about... I don't know, do you want to put this up? Uh, here's... Uh, you know, what we didn't mention was like, well, there's a law. It was a law passed in 2017, which kind of, I think, I mean, the reasons for it were, you know, cops were being attacked, whatever, and they passed along 2017. That broadened the situations where cops, French cops, could shoot uh, and someone. There were various different five categories, I think, or five situations where they could do it, and it was expanded their ability to legally shoot a, a, a citizen or you know criminal whoever uh, were, were expanded in 2017 um, but um, and I think you know there, were, there was a specific event that 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 provoked that but I think it was also in the context of because in 2017 so it was just a couple of years after after the Bataclan and, and, and Charlie Hebdo and stuff you know uh, those attacks by quote unquote ISIS uh, in France so um, this is um what we didn't mention was about the actual shooting that gave rise to these these, these protests of this guy called uh, Nahel M, is a surname. Um, this is him. <laughs> Just play it there. This is him a couple of days beforehand, I think. <laughs> Uh, what's he doing? That's like gone. You know, <clears throat> it's it's the gangster kind of like ghetto gangster rap oh. thing that you were talking about earlier on, basically. Yeah, but yeah. it's like gone. And then you know, so there's a lot of kids like him. He was known to police. Um, he had you know been running around quite a lot in cars. I don't know if he had stolen cars or whatever, but he was you know he was engaged in antisocial behaviour. And in this in this situation, he you know he was stopped for the umpteenth time driving a car um, without a license. He has no license, and um, so the cop decided that he was a threat to use that kind of like expanded definition that he was a threat to either the police or maybe someone else because he was taken off at high speed, and he could have been dangerous to the public. So then you get to shoot them. Um, so you know you have to be realistic about the. The demographic, these young people of Algerian, Moroccan descent, living in France, born in France, living in France as French, but engaged in, you know, 
antisocial behaviour a lot, coming across cops a lot. Um, a lot of them going to end up with some kind of criminal uh, convictions at some point. Um, so it's, you know, that's just a point out that it's not this, it wasn't this young, law-abiding, peaceful 17-year-old who was simply driving his car along and the cop um, just yeah. shot him. You know what I mean? The same as, you know, the old George Floyd thing was George Floyd. <laughs> you know what I mean? Context, right? Um, was George Floyd just a guy going about his business and, you know, cops had no reason to, they just targeted him for racial discrimination, uh, for reasons of racial discrimination, just targeted him and wanted to shoot him, so they shot him. That's the way people react, as if well, that's what actually happened. But it's obviously not. Floyd had no gun to put out on him. There was a neck on his. Yeah, but that's the same, you know, yeah, one way or another. A knee know? on his neck. One way or another, it's racism, right? Well, I think shooting him point blank is different. In George Floyd's case, is probably because he was high as a kite. And the police was actually applying the kinds of pressure point things, knee on neck, that he was told to do. He's probably mm-hmm. done a hundred yeah, times trained, already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. That's kind of where he got thrown under the bus. Yeah. Because he's like, that's what we're supposed to do, you know? Um, but in France, they don't typically shoot. I mean, especially if if they're not armed. Mm-hmm. There's no, there is, there's not, <laughs> if you're responding to an armed threat, of course, you mm-hmm. come in with the guns raised and chances are someone's going to fire something. Mm-hmm. You have to but, wait until the actual, you know, investigation and the, the court case and all that kind of stuff comes out to find out what actually went on. I'm not saying it's justified, but, you know, that kind of, the details, the context in which it happened probably will serve to kind of like <clears throat> put a slightly different spin on it, you know, not that it'll absolve the cop or anything like that, but, you know. Uh, and then there's the the mother. I blame the parents. Do you blame, I, you should blame the parents. I blame the culture. Uh, if you just go down to the bottom of that um, bottom of that article, the very bottom, and play the video, that one right there. Ils m'ont enlevé un bébé. C'était encore un enfant. Il avait besoin de sa mère. Ce matin, il m'a fait un gros bisou. Il m'a dit, maman, je t'aime. Je lui dis, fais attention à toi. Je lui dis, je t'aime, fais attention à toi. Voilà. Voilà, on est sorti en même temps. Il est parti prendre un McDo, je suis parti travailler comme tout le monde. Une heure après, on me dit que quoi On a tiré sur mon fils. Je vais faire quoi Je vais faire quoi J'en ai qu'un, j'en ai pas dix, j'en ai qu'un. C'était ma vie, c'était mon meilleur ami, c'était mon fils, c'était ma... C'était tout pour moi. On était complices comme pas possible. Merci beaucoup pour votre soutien. Là, merci beaucoup. Je vous remercie beaucoup, beaucoup, beaucoup. Je sais plus quoi vous dire. Merci. Yeah, so she was a single mother. The father right. just disappeared the, right. the night after. Um, and he was her best friend. 17-year-old boy was her best friend. Yeah, that was creepy. Um, those types don't turn out well in any setting. Um, and she's since gone on to, like, she's the poster child of the revolution. She called mm-hmm. for a revolt in right. a statement. Yeah, she she's didn't. been <laughs> laughing, smiling, and talking held aloft a big crowd of people who got the t-shirt yeah. and the theme and everything for the re- revolution yeah don't know what she's doing ah, she's none nice. of these people know what they're doing is a thing you know so um, yeah the point is there's not really a solution to this This there is a solution <clears throat> like we said but it, it's a solution that, no no it, it, it's a solution yeah sorry you first what's the solution well what we talked about earlier you know but it would involve it's 20, 20 years too late like you talked about Putin Putin structured yeah. Russian society in such a way you know from a, from a knowledgeable 
perspective, knowing you know the the diverse uh, nature of the of the Russian Federation, the peoples and the religious beliefs in the Russian Federation, and Russian Federation, and he set he 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 played to that basically, and he made sure that to you know policies and laws passed. Well, the, the, encouraged, uh, you know, the, the, the proper functioning or the, the peaceful fu- functioning of that kind of a pluralistic and diverse society, right, where you get validation yeah. from the president, from the from the government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Th- that makes him sound like a namby-pamby. <clears throat> the first thing he did was he crushed yeah, of course, a Muslim Daniels. rebellion yeah. in yeah. Dagestan yeah. and uh, Chechnya. Yeah. I mean, he destroyed it. He, he absolutely leveled the place. And then he turned to other Muslim-majority regions like... Uh, forget the name, it begins with a K, Kazan, which is kind of much more central and closer to Moscow. And he said, do, do you still want to leave Russia? <laughs> I mean, it was, you have to do that first. Then he came in mm-hmm. and he rebuilt it. Yeah. And then he made equal laws. Mm-hmm. And then he led by example. Mm-hmm. But you got you got you have to use a stick. Who's willing to do that? Mm-hmm. There's nobody in the Who is willing to do you that? You need to overhaul the entire system and the entire political class and get rid of them because they're all in their in their secular secular liberal mindset. And and those people just don't work. They're not they're not going to do that. You know what I mean? So you do yeah. need a revolution in France in a certain sense That's or right. in any other country. I, you need. I'm probably going to hope we can get banned for saying that. But no, no. You, you, well, it, it, revolution revolution is a dangerous word in the circumstances. What I replied to Bertrand was. Yes, but for one thing to be different, everything would need to be different. Mm-hmm. You would need a paradigm shift mm-hmm. in the very mentality of the elites. Revolution need, thinking. Uh, therefore, I suppose it is a revolution. You need new, new elites or somehow Macron <laughs> forces a regime change himself from within because everything would have to change. This universalism, bullshit. Bullshit, stop it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, c- crush it. Do whatever it takes to physically stop it. Don't namby-pamby it. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. But as well as a big stick, you need to actually get in there and truly sort it out. Instead of going, well, there are competing interests in Paris. And you know what? In the end, I'll just let them play off. At least they're all contained over there in their small banlieues mm-hmm. on the periphery of the cities. You know, better not. Please don't just bother going in. We'll leave them as no-go zones. For the most part, they're contained. They erupt now and again. Huh. Mm-hmm. To hell with it! No, like that attitude, that whole political philosophy and attitude would have to—it would have to be a regime change. That's why it's impossible. That's why we say, let it all reach its conclusions. But I'm not a total doomer on this. There's, there's going to be stuff that survives in the United States right now. Oh, recently, there were protests in Dearborn, um, Michigan. Michigan, which is ironically a Muslim majority. Well, parts of it, Muslim majority neighborhoods. They're recent emigrants. They're not going back 60 years. So they're pretty much since the wars in the Middle East, they've moved to the United States. They're patriotic. We're American. And they're surrounded by people just, who still tend to see Osama bin Laden whenever mm-hmm. they see one of them. Mm-hmm. However, they're protesting recently against their kids being in the local schools, having to do LGBTQICIA plus indoctrination. They're like, uh, no. We don't want to cause a fuss in this country because you all tend to see us as Osama bin Laden's. But on this issue, we're digging our heels in. Mm-hmm. They're not going to those classes mm-hmm. and they're pulling them out. And the whiteies surrounding them are going, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I see something I have in common mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things will survive the coming turmoil. People will realize... Lots of people, I don't know how many, but enough people are going to realize what they have in common. I think 
it's wishful thinking that this is going to lead to a race war, mm-hmm. you know, in France, in the United States, and everything. This has been the CIA's Western ever since the 1960s, you know, with the whole helter skelter bullshit and uh, what was the name of the crazy cult, you know, uh, Manson, mm-hmm. Charlie Manson, you know. The big conspiracy at the heart of that weird series of murders in Hollywood was that Manson was trying to start a race war by killing that group here and then that group there. Ha ha, moha, and then they would all cook up. And it was batshit crazy, but there were CIA ties to that. That is the kind of ultimate wet dream of how they see their control lasting mm-hmm. in perpetuity for mm-hmm. all eternity. It's not going to work in France either. This, mm-hmm. this will blow over too. And people will still continue to for the most part, see the commonalities they share with others, no matter how... Yeah, when things get bad, if things get worse, that's the saving grace in a certain sense where things, you know, economically, etc., get worse and then people start to realise, and you'd hope, like, that people start to realise the commonality uh, they have and that you know, we all need to kind of band together or work together to, to provide for, you know... And France has that to, to its credit in a certain sense, has that to... Um, uh, in it's kind of atomized in a certain sense. There's a lot of like, you know, local governance in, in, in France and, and local identities and that kind of stuff where everybody, whoever lives in that town or that village or whatever, uh, kind of tend to um, see themselves as all from that particular place, you know what I mean, or from loyal or to that, to that particular place. Um, yeah, but the only, the problem is, people people were saying this is like immigrants that are trying to, their hot take being this is what immigration does to you know recent immigration to Europe or in America whatever and that's why we should stop immigration but these kind of riots and stuff don't happen from recently arrived immigrants they're, they're not they don't have the the network within the country uh, or the the you know the the kind of cohe- cohesiveness uh, as disparate immigrants coming in to to, to put the band together and create the kind of chaos that you've seen in France over the past few days that can only happen when you've got from people who are uh, you know, French people living in the country and know, you know, know where everything is, know where the local police station is, know how to get into it. You know, there's the, the, the network in the same as anybody else in France would have. You know, that's how you can have this level of uh, of disruption. You know, so it's not immigrants. It's not. It's not the 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 the, <clears throat> the people that came off the boat last week who are doing this. You know what I mean? Um. But yeah. yeah. Um. We'll have to see where it goes. But this here's one thing. Um, again, just speaking to the level of bullshit that people have to put, you have to put up with, and how you should never take anything at face value. Remember the Chinese spy balloon? Yeah, yeah. Remember that UFOs? No, yeah. yeah, no spy balloons. Remember what it was all about? Yeah, uh, Chinese spy balloon did not collect information over the U.S. Pentagon says three months later. Mm. Despite the fact that they still that, call it a spy balloon. Despite the fact that, that that was the thing, that was the only reason this was a problem was because it was spying. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, it wasn't, and we knew that at the time, but we pretended it was just to work everybody up and shoot it down and look like a bunch of assholes. So, an example yeah. of why you shouldn't do hot takes yeah, on yeah. things. They're coming for our nukes. And then look at that. They directed it over Montana. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Montana, they were spying, spying Dakota. Nukes, yeah. They were aiming it at silos and shit it just it was a weather balloon that blew off of course fucking hysteria like um yeah and then you know Trump you know Trump stole the documents right and kept them uh, top secret documents that he was going to use to give 
you know, give our enemies information about our top secret locations of nukes or whatever. Um, well, this is from a few days ago, but um, this is ABC and it's obtained, uh, ABC, I suppose, obtained it, audio recording of Trump discussing classified documents. Just have a listen. Breaking news. ABC News has obtained an audio recording of former President Trump appearing to acknowledge that he held onto a sensitive military document after leaving the White House. More now from ABC's senior investigative reporter, Aaron Katursky. Well, with Milley, uh, let me see that. I'll, I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. On the recording, Trump is heard attacking the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, and referencing a document that Trump claimed Milley had compiled. This totally wins my case, you know. Mm-hmm. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. <laughs> secret. This is secret information. Yeah. As president, I could have declassified yeah. it. Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah. classified. The contents of the recording, made during a July 21, 2021 meeting at Trump's Bedminster, New Jersey golf club, have been previously reported and are quoted in the Justice Department's 37-count indictment related to Trump's handling of classified documents after leaving office. But the recording itself had never been heard publicly until now. Trump pleaded not guilty this month to those 37 counts, and a campaign spokesperson sent the following statement to ABC News in response to the audio recording. The audio tape, the statement said, provides context proving once again that President Trump did nothing wrong at all. All right. So, uh, pause there. Uh, can close it. Um, so this is Trump, classified documents, and then talking about those classified documents to other people, and that's the crime. But the details are that he was talking about, in this case, he was talking about, as an example of the kind of things he was talking about, he was using these documents to show that he was surrounded by a bunch of war hawks who were trying to invade Iran, and he didn't want to, and they're trying to convince him or force him to invade Iran. That's irrelevant, right? Right. No, <laughs> I don't... Uh, in the yeah. public discourse, in terms of people's assessment, or get, giving people the opportunity to make a good assessment of what this case against him is actually about... Just limited to, he took documents, yeah, he talked yeah, about no, the no, documents no. to other people. That, 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 Don't tell him what the documents were or what he was talking about. Yeah, I, 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 I actually can't follow them anymore. I, w- w- when they're saying, breaking news, okay, they're going to be braced. Okay, here we go. What is it? And then they say, Trump said illegal things about illegal documents, which actually he's supposed to have. Okay, what did he say? He said something that makes him look awesome. Okay. What's your point? I actually can't follow through what they're trying to suggest. That, that he's a him. bad man? That he should be in jail? Yeah. I, well, they're just leaving it, it at, at documents, sense. confidential documents or top secret documents that he took home and didn't give back. It's not that he took them home. It's that when he was asked for them back, he said, I don't have them or allegedly said, you know, no, I don't, I don't know where they are. I lost them or they're somewhere. Whatever. So it's, it's mis... That's all it is. It's basically... Because it's not a crime to take the documents home, but supposedly the crime is is when you're asked for them back, and then they add on the fact that he talked about these documents, the contents of these documents to some people. That was one example of what he was talking about, and you can extrapolate from that. Probably what he was 
talking about it to these people. He was saying, will you see what these documents I have that I brought home with me, which I'm allowed to, uh, will you see what they, will you see how, how they, the, the, the really bad light they portray a lot of people who were surrounding me while I was president in, will you see? And that, that's the crime. The crime is revealing Washington state yeah. secrets, uh, state secrets of, of, of warmongering and corruption. And they're terrified and they want, they literally want to put him in jail for revealing like Julian Assange. Yeah. Yeah. Shut him up. I, um, yeah. Meanwhile, the Biden's, um, just escalating crimes. Uh, you said it several weeks ago, it's going to catch up with them and dog them big time. And it does seem to be increasing the actual coverage of them, the uncomfortable questions. You know. um, yeah, just dodging them, just ignoring them. No, Biden said no, he didn't. And you're thinking it's going to all add up to a, some kind of a major snap oh, with the next it, election. Can it be contained? Can you outdo Colonel McGregor, who suggested that we won't even make it to the 2024 election? What do you mean, we're all going to die? Oh, the U.S. is so, like, I, think I don't when, know. I think when he said that, he probably meant that there, there would be some issue with the election in that sense where, where it wouldn't be able to be held or wouldn't be success, it wouldn't think come he, to completion. In the context he was saying it, it was like economic collapse or yeah. some, some external. Maybe. Uh, it could be. Who knows? Uh, it's all brewing. Like, it's, you know, it's a year from now, so it's going to be a wild ride uh, for the next year. Um one one thing that really pissed me off, and this is the last thing I'm going to say today, uh, is that <clears throat> how people who comment on the situation, let's say with Russia, Ukraine, etc., or China, a spy balloon, all that kind of stuff, seem to completely miss the fundamentals underlying everything that the U.S. is doing and all, they, all everything that they say about Ukraine, what they're doing in Ukraine, what they've done in Ukraine, uh, their support, all of that support for Ukraine and all their talk about China, how everybody who looks at those statements or looks at those, those events or what they're doing, looks at that situation, totally misunderstands uh, or, or willfully is willfully ignorant of the obvious underlying motivation for them doing what they're doing. That it's not about freedom and democracy, it's not about you know, getting Putin because he's an evil dictator, it's not because China is a one-party state and a dictatorship and they're going to have us all speaking Chinese next year and we're trying to protect American freedom and democracy. And, and the fact that it's, that it's not about those things, that it's about something else, and that something else is openly stated by the movers and shakers in Washington, D.C. Um... Just put that up there. It's only 30 seconds. This is blinking. Russian subtitles. The Cold War era is over. And there is a profound competition underway right now to shape what comes next. I don't want to minimize it. We did have, in many ways, an era of extraordinary progress. But then, of course, we've seen the emergence of major disruptors um, that are now, I think, pushing us past that era. So we have to find ways to make sure that um, not only are we in the room, uh, not only are we at the table, but hopefully we're at the uh, the head of the table. Ah, that's exactly the analogy you're giving for several years now. So, 
Yeah. That there's people coming to the table and they're, they're just asking the guy at the head of the table, look, can we just like share more? Share a bit better. You can stay ahead, but like, let's just be, you know, more fair. And the guy's like, no, I'll fucking turn this table over if, yeah, <laughs> if you take any no of my chance. stuff. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting that he says that. And what he says there, I mean, it shouldn't be strange to anybody. Well, first of all, because he's saying it publicly, it's not the first time him and others have said the same thing publicly, but it explains absolutely everything that America is doing in Ukraine and vis-a-vis China yeah. and, and, and in terms of Nord Stream 2 and, and Russiagate and all of the pro- propaganda that, that in order to stay, like he said, hopefully at the head of the table, they're using all sorts of underhanded, uh, skullduggerous, you know, means and, and methods and, and lies and to, in order to achieve that. Yeah. But people just take their lies at face value. It's like someone saying like, like somebody after 9-11 or whatever said, like, you know, someone in the U.S. military, some high-level guy said, you know, you know, in war, you have to understand that in war we're going to lie. When it's a war, it, there's going to be lies. We're, propaganda is a big part of any, any war, so we're going to lie about it. Um, but there's so many people out there don't know that. Even though this guy would say it or Blinken would say this, they don't, they don't seem to understand that there's a, it's there's a, there's a changing world America has been at the top, at the head of the table for the last century, let's say. But the world is now changing, and China and Russia are, just by the mere fact of, their, of, of, of the size of the countries and their populations and the energy resource they have, they're starting to assert themselves more, and they're saying, listen, the world is changing. We're coming online, and we're going to have to have a kind of more shared, multipolar world. And America, the Americans, like Blinken, have shit their pants about that and say, no fucking way, that's not happening ever. We're remaining top dog forever, and we're going to take you down by any means necessary. And a big part of those means is going to be lying and spreading disinformation about you and all sorts of underhanded methods. He said, that's basically what he's saying. Yeah. And then you see those underhanded methods, and including that it's lies and disinformation, and you go, oh, no, but Blinken said that the... No, he just told you before he told the lie that he was going to lie. <laughs> Did you miss that part? Uh, I'm no. going to lie. What I'm about to say is a lie in order to achieve, <clears throat> you know, Amer- to secure America's... And then he follows it with, Russia blew up Nord Stream. Uh, yeah, 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 they did yeah, blow up Nord Stream. Yeah, well, Stream. Russia blew yeah. up Nord Stream. yeah. And it's like, no, no, you see, it's pretty simple. That's, he's just pretending that Russia... Russia invaded Russia. Ukraine for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Yeah, yeah uh, Russia invaded Ukraine for no reason. Yeah. No, he just told you... Why he's why going to bullshit you in that way. But who, you know... Uh, and for me, this is my last piece. That's like government, geopolitics, the top level, at basically saying, we are dishonest <clears throat> to what? people. And then they expect honesty. Well, look how it trickles down. Calgary Herald, so this must be a Canadian issue. No, Harvard professor, United States headline last week. Harvard professor who studies honesty accused of falsifying data. <laughs> but was it for the greater good, Neil? And uh, you don't have no honest man in government and therefore no honest anywhere in any of the intelligentsia. That's why the whole culture is effed. The point is, I don't have a problem. I'm not calling them liars and they should be I'm not saying that that undermines their perspective. I'm just saying understand, recognize that they lie in order to achieve their objectives. We can discuss their objectives as to whether, well, and you can decide which side you're on, whether you agree with their objectives or whether you agree with, because America objectives, America's objectives are to, that the world remains a unipolar world with America at the top. Russia and China's yeah, objectives. they're not honest about that. It's the fact that they lie. Well, he just said it. so odious. He just said it. Yeah. He, Blinken just said it. So I'm he, saying he, they're, they're open about it. And the implication is that in order to achieve this unipolar world 
and maintain the unipolar world with America at the top, we're going to lie and attack our adversaries in underhanded ways and do all sorts of sab- sabotage and subterfuge in order to, because that increases the chance that we'll remain at the top of the table. Now, as an American, do you want to side with me in doing that? You should. You know, but so I have no problem with people aligning with America's objective to remain at the top table in a unipolar world. Uh, and I also don't have a problem with them lying to achieve that, to using all, all these underhanded tactics to achieve it. I have a problem with the people who are so fucking stupid that they don't reckon, they don't realize that. You know what I mean? That they suck up the lies. It's okay, because I'm sure Russia and China sell probably less than America, but they spread some lies and disinformation, especially as part of war or as part of geopolitics and that kind of stuff. They'll, they'll send out signals. But generally speaking, I think they tend to... They have less... They have less of a need to spread lies. They can get what they want, a multipolar world, by telling the truth, because America is the one who started off telling lies uh, in order to achieve and needs to tell lies to achieve its unipolar uh, position because fundamentally from a broad-scale uh, kind of moral standpoint, the idea of one country ruling the world sounds a lot like a, like a dictatorship. It's yeah. not really morally defensible. Yeah. So someone who's taken that position tends to have to lie more because generally speaking, global global... Global, uh, global morality, let's say, would say, yeah, you're not really, you don't have the high ground there if you want to rule the world on your own when there's other countries and you have to keep them down so you can rule the world. Russia and China are saying we want multipolar world and all we have to do is point out the lies that this guy is trying to tell in order to achieve his, maintain his uni, unipolarity. So that's why you have more lies coming from the West than from, from, from the East. Um, but... And I don't mind if people take a position and say, you know what, America is the best and should be the best and should be the top, top dog in the world in perpetuity because it's got the best system, capitalism, wildlife, all that kind of stuff, whatever. Whatever way they want to spin it, they can, I have no problem with them siding with that, but at least recognize that you have to lie to achieve that. You have to lie to the rest of the world to achieve that. Don't believe the lies yourself because then you're a real idiot. Like, you know. Anyway. <laughs> that's always what you're hoping for yeah for them to just be honest about what well, they're well they but do don't confuse that for honesty a psychopath will tell the true thing in the moment if it suits his, if it suits whatever he's trying to do but what he's I'm what, not suggesting he is one what he say but he's they, they will occasionally say the truth of course but it's not it's, they, it's never like actually, only when it serves their interests it, it's like a, a broken clock is right twice a day kind mm-hmm. of thing you know uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's, that, that's it's, why I it's threw not, up that article. You've got a situation where it's so entrenched that the person whose job it is yeah. <laughs> to study honesty mm-hmm. is dishonest. Mm-hmm. You, you, that's why it's intractable. The problem is non fixable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not even competing systems. Like you know, it's not like Ch- China necessarily has a competing system, a com- com- competing social kind of system or, or system of government that it wants to spread around the world. It's, 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 all, it's all at the economic level that America is concerned about losing its power at the economic level. It's not like China's going to spread across the world or Russia's going to spread its culture or its, or its people across the world. They just want more access to economic resources and a, and a larger share of the pie that they're entitled to based on, their, on, on, on the, the, the value or the, the, the wealth of their, of their countries. So it's, it's not... 
they try and spin it as we have to stop China because communism. We have to stop Russia because, uh, I don't know, Putin or something. Um, authoritarianism. <coughs> authoritarianism. But they're not trying to, those two countries aren't trying to spread communism or authoritarianism around the country, around the world. That's not what America is pushing back against. They pretend that that's what yeah, the, yeah. the threat is. But the, the actual threat is the growing economic uh, clout of those two countries and how America is in such a position that it could no longer, the whole facade of American exceptionalism because it's such a wonderful country and capitalism and look how well we live is all based on them having an unfair share of the global economic pie. So when other countries come in and say, "Can I? we want equal shares, so you're going to have to take a, a cut. And that spells doom for America's whole facade of you know, the greatest nation in the world. It will no longer be the greatest nation in the world. So you can understand they're in an existential crisis, but it's still not morally justified from a very baseline morality that's been around in human civilization forever. Like, you know, the guy who wants to, you know, rule over everybody and dictate terms and keep all the people down by force doesn't have uh, the moral high ground. Yeah. By anybody's standard. Anyway, will we, will we call quits? You've yeah, been be talking for way too long here. Scotty's falling asleep already. And we're getting the spammers in the comments. Spammers? <clears throat> yeah, it's time to get out. When the spammers are collecting... Jeez, they must have noticed us. <laughs> spammers must. All right, so we'll leave it there for, for this week, folks. Thanks for watching. Uh, don't f- thanks for commenting. Don't forget to like all the likey buttons and uh, notifications and stuff like that. And we'll be back next week with another show. So until then, have a good one. Thanks for watching. Bye all. Can't stop the signal now.